We're joined today by E, the Edward, the Eddie, the Rathke. We're here to talk about our books because it's our fucking podcast. God damn it. We're allowed to talk about whatever the fuck we want. We all have books coming out. Oh, wait. Uh, well, two of us have books coming out tomorrow. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, hey. Actually, hey, today. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> we got Kanye over here. I was so tempted, dude, while you were writing Mercy to send you pictures. Oh. Those pictures Kanye was posting of that room in that stadium with the clock on the wall. <laughs> yeah, <it> was, <laughs> bro. Oh, my God. He's in the Slipknot outfit, you know? The, I was in full. Thing. That was me. That's been me. I haven't. I literally haven't slept in two days. Yeah, like I, f- on, I feel on Donda. Mercy's Donda. Weird. Basically. Mercy is Donda, except it's actually going to come out and not just on YouTube and, <laughs> and several different <laughs> mixes. But we the original have, Donda was the best one. Oh, God. Yeah. No, Donda yeah. went hard. Yeah. I thought Donda was great. I, I didn't get all the hate about Donda. I thought it was really good. But um, so Eddie's here. <clears throat> we all wrote cyberpunk novels if you've been listening to this podcast you'll know that kelby and i talk about pretty much a cyberpunk movie every week we've gone through all the major bangers in manga and anime there's still a few left to cover that we we may or may we may be cyberpunked out i don't know hell no uh, (laughs) hell no never (laughs) i'm ready to chrome out ready to to mod the fuck up that's a good yeah. sign. We, we got to just use cyberpunk lingo from now on. Just anyone we talk to. Like, like, oh, what's, okay. up? What's, what's up, Choom? Choom? Yeah, I was trying to remember what the... Uh, jacking what, in. Jacking in and jacking off. Oh, uh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, Kelby and I had the idea to come out with the books on December 1st. It's an agitator day. It's my birthday. Uh, it's just a good day all around. And then uh, Eddie, who's a madman, who has the ability to write very quickly uh, and very well, very quickly, was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm going to do one too. So he wrote a book called Howl uh, that I read today, and it's awesome, of course. But we're going to talk about all three books. We're going to talk about some of the writing stuff that we talk about in private or over the chat. And so this is going to be a very writing-focused agitator so almost certainly going to be our our like worst performing episode (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't know some of the shit is surprising that uh the one where you read from strands was bigger than we expected that to be oh all right right you know i've noticed too so like on uh on my newsletter um sometimes i write about writing because uh i like to hurt people who like to read my stuff <laughs> but uh sometimes those do really well like uh i wrote i wrote about like uh dumb stuff that ray bradbury said that people took seriously and that was like I that's a that, big, yeah. yeah it's like a big performing one it's like why people actually i'm not i think it's just that people can feel when people are interested in something that they're talking about um what was it that ray bradbury said that was dumb well it's not dumb but i'm pretty sure like he didn't mean it seriously like he in maybe an interview or like an essay somewhere he was like it's impossible to write um 52 bad short stories in a row so you just if you write one every week you'll eventually end up with a good one mm-hmm. and a lot of people are like oh that's like the challenge write one every week and it's like well 
probably not what he meant but (laughs) like what he meant is just like keep writing because eventually you'll stop being bad at it yeah that is not always true (laughs) (laughs) there are many writers who are very prolific who are testaments to to this but also i think it's Man, I think it's more true than fake, though. I'm going to kind of go back on what I just said. It's more true than fake. I mean, you will, you'll, you'll find a voice and you'll get a grip if you just keep doing it. It's, go ahead. I think it's part of the uh, process. Because like we were talking about with uh, the way you went through Dying World and with Mercy, where what I'm still at the end of now is like you have to sacrifice some books, like an idea sometimes just comes out messy and you're like oh that wasn't right uh i gotta try that again mm-hmm. yeah so it's like kind of just scrap <laughs> <laughs> just throw it away i can and just I, imagine I, what your junk pile looks like whenever you have fucking 50 finished books in the it's like the fucking, google doc uh, it's like the fucking uh trash pile in battle angel alita uh, that <laughs> surrounds the city Man, some some of the stuff that I've thrown away is like so good though. I, I need well, it's like it's not thrown away. It's just like it's just stuck where it is because I'm like I fucked this up and mm-hmm. like uh, mm-hmm. I, don't know. I think I told you guys before about this like uh, 50 page conversation that's like my favorite thing I ever wrote, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just stuck in this novel that I don't know what to do. With. <laughs> well, I do know what to do with now, but I don't want to do it because like what I need to do is add like a hundred pages between. Uh, pages one and two and uh, I don't want to do that (laughs) you sent me me a book about an Ethiopian immigrant yeah he was Ethiopian right Uh, Uh, he's Somalian yeah Somalian my bad the pirates the we are the captain now people and Mm -hmm. he's this autistic dude and the book moves along it's got this great pace to it and then at the end the tone completely shifts and he gets a katana <laughs> and he kills the SWAT team with the katana. <laughs> and when I read it, I thought this is fucking badass. And you were like, man, I don't know about this one. <laughs> and I was like, this is fucking cool, dude. It's just, it's such a, such a radical shift that it turns into this. What was that one called? I can't remember now. Um, Black angel. Black angel. Right? So that's Which supposed is... to be the first part of a trilogy. I wrote the second book too. And Kyle was like, what the fuck did you do? Cause like, so <laughs> Wait, who so, is for the for the listeners? Who is Kyle? Oh, uh, Kyle's my friend, Kyle Munts. He uh, he writes stuff too. Check out Pain Eater. That's his most recent book. Mm-hmm. I guess his most recent book is Sing Behemoth Sing, which he wrote with me. That's yeah, correct. Really, really good guy. One of the nicest people I know. <clears throat> yeah, I've I've been Kyle's been my first reader for like ten years. We uh we actually hilariously we met in the comments on a Michael Seidlinger Facebook post in like 2012. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> wait, wait, why, why is that? Uh, why do you say hilariously? Uh, well, because because that's it's like, hard to, it's hard to have a conversation behind all the devil horns being thrown up. <laughs> it's also like the dumbest way to start a really long friendship with someone. Um, cause Kyle, I've been, you know, I talked to Kyle like every single day for the last 10 years, basically. And the way I got to, the way I met him is basically just on accident over the internet which is usually friendships don't happen that way, <laughs> you know? but right. he's, he's stayed at my house a bunch of times and I've stayed at his house back when he used to live in the U S. So it's a, uh, and now I'm like the leading expert on all of Kyle Munt's fiction and he's the leading expert on all of mine. 
but most so of our stuff's the, unpublished. <laughs> the the trilogy then. So so Kyle said, "What the fuck are you doing with it?" Yeah, because so like the second, where as weird as the first book gets, um, the second book gets even weirder. It becomes like this interdimensional uh, death war at the end, um, and uh, the main character he gets he loses his hands and stuff. And uh, it also though that that second book includes my favorite scene ever, which is a uh, this amputee gives the narrator his uh, his prosthetic arm and then just like walks away. He like gives it to him like hell yeah man this is my offering to you and the and the guys are just like what the shit yeah. <laughs> it was like so fun it was one of those scenes where you're writing and you're just like laughing to yourself while you do it and there's not really a good reason for it to exist even in the book but i don't know it's just it's so funny to me oh i've got one of those i had to have i had to have the pussy sword in mercy and yeah, there yeah, there's the pussy sword is good. no no build up to that whatsoever <laughs> that's what makes it work that's what makes it work that one it, you know the whole thing's going to be a bit more fleshed out over the next week but the starkness of the pussy sword coming out is really important i think and with the the prosthetic arm thing you guys remember the movie anchorman the, the yeah. classic comedy uh-huh. they you know they do a lot of improv for those movies and when he sprays sex panther in the room back and forth about like what it what it what it smells like and the classic one is that it smells like bigfoot's dick right but the, the one that i thought was the funniest was i think it was paul rudd who he said it's like it smells like the inside of a prosthetic leg <laughs> oh that's so gross it's funny because like i've never smelled that but i know exactly what it smells like yeah, oh yeah oh yeah it's so good some of the, those oh. movies were so great super bad and uh anchorman and the oh, race yeah. car one those were good movies they are but uh i think i'm gonna publish that book about the somalian guy black angel and then the second one i i where i'm at now i think like the wild craziness of it is actually just like because back then this is 2015 when i wrote that i was still mostly kind of like writing i guess realism-ish type stuff um but now it's like kind of the bonkersness of those books is good <laughs> yeah yeah what happened what was the shift how did we get from 2015 to 2022 where you're writing how uh and it feels you know you wrote this book because you knew that kelby and i were writing cyberpunk books and so you said i'll yeah. take a crack at it just and threw his dick on the table threw his dick on the table <laughs> there is just to go over it i mean there's a sort of uh uh shamanistic tribe that lives out in the woods that have these giant uh mushroom trees everywhere which is a have you ever played morrowind uh no but i i know about it yeah so that's what it brought to mind for me was the the giant mushroom trees in morrowind but um they basically uh it starts off and there are a bunch of uh mothers who are tied to the mushroom trees who are dying coughing up black blood they get raided by a sort of nomadic mad max biker gang with a dude with antlers <laughs> shout out to all the books having deer head <laughs> there's there's a lot of shit like that i think some people are gonna think we consciously were passing notes back and forth mm-hmm. that just turned out to be like 
We'll, we'll, we can run down the list because there's a lot of them. There's a yeah, lot there's of them. There's a bunch but, of similarities. The but, deer head for this one was kind of on purpose. I just really like it. Was, I, I hadn't read um, Dying World yet, but uh, the cover of Dying World, I was like, what if that guy just like came and fucked shit up? Yeah, yeah. So he, he breathes a curse <laughs> into our hero, Virgil, who is unnamed before Virgil, I think. We yep. don't really know what his name is. He breathes a curse into him that's sort of like the Princess Mononoke. Uh, it's got like this this bruise that that moves around the infected person's body and turns them into raged out uh, crazy people. <clears throat> it's a it's a Mononoke homage, you know. Like, but oh, um, but so uh, Virgil and uh, uh, Freya slash Vera, who uh, is the other person who gets infected with the curse, they are banished from the tribe. They're shaved bald <clears throat> and sent naked out into the woods. And you're sort of like, well, damn, what the fuck's going to happen? You know, there's missing kids, this biker gang abducted kids. And then this really just tall lady comes out of nowhere who Virgil really wants to fuck. He, he thinks that she's hot as shit, which are some of like, the most fun scenes to me where he's just looking at her boobs and like <laughs> trying to contain his lust, like trying to... I always think of the, the Game of Thrones, that redheaded dude where he's like, is the big woman here? Um... <laughs> but uh that's That's a good man i wasn't even thinking uh that but that is what that's like (laughs) (laughs) and and so she's basically a vampire hunter and she takes them on a little vampire hunting adventure and that's and i love dude i fucking love books like this that you can feel it being made up as it goes along um by the way it's also got probably the most sinisterly funny tarot card reading i've ever read <laughs> um i won't spoil it because it's it's really good but <laughs> it just was making me fucking crack up dude like every card that she pulled i thought yeah. that was a really good bit but anyway but i love the fact that this book th- there's a sort of magic when you have a good writer like eddie uh to to going along with him and him just being like hey you know what um Actually, you know what? This is Vampire Hunter D now. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is basically what happened. Um, I kind of always wanted to write a vampire novel, but I never have because, um, I don't know, I'm intimidated to write about vampires because I actually, cause I actually I actually care about vampires. I like vampires. <laughs> um, okay. But uh, And so for this one, I was just like, well, fuck it. Because I was just kind of, you know, I, I think I decided to write it like six weeks ago, but mm-hmm. then I got sick for, and my whole family was sick for a bunch of it. So like I wrote the first part, that kind of shaman intro part, and I got sick for a long time, but I just like couldn't work on it. And then uh, instead of having six weeks, I all of a sudden had like, you know, three weeks or two and a half weeks or something. I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta whip this out. And then Grant talking about tarot cards is actually what set like the whole thing in motion. What what do you think you would have done if you had hadn't gotten sick? Was there a plan? Uh no. <laughs> no, yeah. I right. was like my goal is just to um my goal is to make like a short adventure, just like a you know, a short introduction to a world and a place and like a discreet adventure that could then lead on to more if I felt like it. Um but getting stuck just kind of uh I guess not even so much getting stuck, but just like not being able to work on it. You just start 
know, a million ideas just keep coming to you and you just start jamming them into the same yeah, bag. Yeah. Yeah. You're tapped in. You want to know one of my favorite things too is, uh, I don't even know if you meant to do this or if this was an intentional joke, but there are a lot of scenes between Vera and Virgil who have known each other since they were kids. They're in love. Uh, kind of, you know, it's a weird sort of love. Yeah. But um, she talks a lot. She uh-huh. has these monologues, these, you know, soliloquies where she's, it's kind of like uh, Al Swearingen in Deadwood. You know, she'll have, she'll go on these long tangents <clears throat> and uh, Virgil for the most part listens and, you know, he says like, Oh, what? Go, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and, the, and then there's a scene uh, where Virgil has an idea about uh about what's going on with the big girl with the big girl and he starts talking and she like snaps her fingers and says like come on hurry get on with it and i was like (laughs) man that is such a commentary on women like they just be talking and then you you start to talk and they're like oh just say what you gotta say stop mansplaining uh that's hilarious that was not on purpose but uh i uh (laughs) it was just internalized yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's, so it's a funny thing because I think of myself as someone who talks a lot, but I actually don't talk very much day to day. And I've always been fascinated with characters who like never say anything. Murakami uh, has written a bunch of characters who are just like mute for whatever reason. And I always think that's kind of cool. So I, uh, <laughs> I do a lot of like protagonists who are just, they're more just kind of like watching what's happening. Mm-hmm. They're not, I mean, they're active in their own way, but a lot of times um, I think it comes from a place of just being kind of an idiot. Oh, like, dude, I feel that. Yeah, yeah I feel like, that. like I'm dumb, so <clears throat> I make my characters dumb. Because, you know, a long time ago, I feel like every writer, when they first start writing, they write their narrators who are, like, really bookish and, you know, have a lot to say. But uh, I don't have that much to say, I guess. <laughs> like, except for, <laughs> except for a, a, like, you know piles and piles and piles of hundreds of thousands of words of books oh uh, yeah but, uh, i got i got know. those and i guess like uh on my newsletter <laughs> there's probably like two hundred thousand words already so i guess mm-hmm. I, got, I guess i do have a lot to say but i don't have a lot to say uh vocally <laughs> like, so no. when you when you be oh i'm sorry kelby go ahead I'm no i was just gonna say i'm, I'm the same way like all, all the shit i have to say comes out like a like how mercy's coming along like that's the shit i have to say yeah is is the story because I don't know, I paint abstract. I I think in stories. <laughs> I don't really have a. I can't explain myself, bro. Yeah. I talk all the time, and when I'm not talking to you <coughs> or Eddie, who I do call, uh, without texting first, I just straight up call and Hell say, yeah. "Hey, what's going on?" Uh, <laughs> that felt like talking- a. That felt like a jab to the people. <laughs> the people the people who don't call me back are like bro. I you- used to no for real, bro. I used to get like I used to be like, damn, nobody calls me, and I'm like, well, I mean, you do call a lot, so it's kind. Of, I mean, I feel like Kelby and Eddie does call me, but I feel like Kelby just probably assumes like uh, it's about twelve. David might be calling soon. <laughs> literally yeah that's happened where i'm like I'll, it'll be a tuesday or something and i'm like i'll be thinking i'm gonna call you about something and then i'm like uh i'm gonna give him about an hour he'll probably call 
And it's like, bring, bring, bring. Yep. Okay, yep. Like, hey, what's up? I'm like, hey, nothing. What are you doing? Uh, but when I'm not talking to people, I'm talking to myself. I'm a crazy person. Like mm. the, the words, I have uh, an impulsive need to get whatever is in my head out. And I'm trying to shift that to more to writing. You know, I think that comes through in my writing too. It's just, it's just a bunch of shit. Uh, <laughs> it's very disorganized and very scattershot, but it's just, it's how I think it's how I talk. And I don't know what it would be like for me to go on a, you know, those, those Buddhist silent retreats. Yeah. Where you're just quiet for a month or whatever. Like, I don't know what I would do. I don't know. I was I was at a Buddhist temple for I don't know day and a half when I lived in Korea, and um, it was silent. We were supposed to be silent the whole time, but I don't know. I also I feel like when I'm with people, I talk a lot, but I also will go long times without like I don't need to talk. But uh, something one of my teachers said in high school one time is that she accused me of thinking out loud. And I was like, I guess that's actually really true. Like, because yeah. I just I just sit there kind of like a golem. Mm-hmm. all day just like staring at the wall and then someone will like i don't think about anything all day and then uh <laughs> like I, I like literally don't i don't know i don't know what happens to me like day to day but then someone will start talking to me and like i'm like oh i have opinions about everything uh, it's because you are you are thinking it's just it's just going on a level that you're not paying attention to <laughs> which um, is good i think it's good to not pay attention to yourself thinking because 100 uh, percent. no you're yeah. absolutely right I'm dumb. I don't know. But uh, I, I definitely think through like writing and stuff. Like um, the other last week, my wife was like, sometimes I feel like I learn stuff from you, from your newsletter. And like, why don't you just like tell me those things? I'm like, oh, I don't, because I don't think about those things. She's like, well, why, why, why did you write like 2,000 words about it? I was like, oh, well, I mean, I, I thought about it during the time that I was writing that. Right. <laughs> That's it's must be hard because your wife's not, you know, Erica's not a writer either. And there are some things that I feel, you know, it's like, it's one of those things that, and this isn't, it's not a dig or anything, but it's kind of just that Rio sort of gets where I'm like, yeah, if you read this, you might. And she says, oh yeah, yeah, I know. I get it. And I, I read all of her stuff cause I put it all out and I'll see things on the page and I'll be like, oh, I wonder if that's me. <laughs> is the is the dumb guy with the small penis who's always talking to himself i wonder if that's me i wonder if she's yeah. made a little character about me oh and he's cleaning up the dog piss and uh, the dog piss. it's the it's the white devil with the tiny wiener uh, i wonder if that's me could it be me no no i i, st- I straight up tell erica a lot of things where i'm like because she reads all my shit so i'll tell her okay you're gonna um you're gonna know this came from somewhere and then there's gonna be something else later on that might make you mad so like they're just they're different ideas like i just just blended them together (laughs) do you have an example um i know there was some shit in letting out the devils where i was like okay this character is obviously you but there's gonna be some shit that's like that's that's not you yeah, but yeah. like I, I need there to be, I need there to be imperfections. I can't just have a perfect character, you know. Yeah. Like you, baby. Like you, baby. I can't just, I can't can't just, just... trans. I can't just trans because you are my world. You are so perfect. You are my everything. But 
but you're you're just you're too perfect to be a character because they have to have flaws and you don't. Too now, good please come, baby. Please come into bed and take that take that shirt off. Come on. <laughs> That's how yeah, that goes. Then. Like I don't I don't write uh, autobiographically except I guess in my newsletter and even then it's kind of kind of wishy washy. <laughs> but like uh, my wife doesn't read my books. She's not very interested in my fiction, I guess, which is kind of good, I guess. Some people think that's weird, but most of my friends don't read my books either, and I don't mind because uh, I don't. Want, I, I kind of don't want them to read my books. Mm. Do you oh. avoid any kind of like complex that way? Because when you have a bunch of friends hyping your shit and family and stuff, <laughs> sometimes. Or if they're not hyping it, you might be concerned like, damn, I can't write what I want to write because my mom's going to read this or something. Um, yeah, I guess I don't have any of that because like, I don't know, I uh, think from a very young age, I didn't need external validation because um, my parents are dumb. <laughs> With like people, I know a lot of people who are like, I remember the day when like I realized my dad wasn't perfect. I was like, I don't like have you met my dad like he's he's fine he's he's an all right guy but i was never like oh man he's like the greatest person on earth i was just like this is my dumb dad <laughs> and uh I'm, I'm sure that's how it's gonna be for me too with my sons they're just gonna be like ah oh, dad he's such an idiot and we're like come on man aren't i your world and they're like no <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah yeah rowan's just like you're my you're my punching bag you're like my yeah. my my buddy who gets on to me. I'm not the. Fr I'm not a friend parent at all. I'm very authoritative, but he does kind of. He thinks we're homies. Yeah, which I think is good. And like, I don't know. I don't. I just maybe maybe it's weird about me that I don't really ever idolize people, or like I didn't really have. Even like heroes growing up, I think the way most people did. Like I thought people were cool or whatever, but uh, I don't know. I didn't really want to be anything when I grew up. I've always worried like I've uh I've never had an issue with validation because I do genuinely believe my shit is the best but I have worried about because I have like uh I have a bunch of like big mental issues that I'm I'm also a superstitious person so I don't like talking about mental health or whatever but like um I've got a list of shit and sometimes I wonder like, okay, I, th I do think I'm the best, but what if, what if I'm just like delusional? Well, I think being a writer is like a sort of delusion. You know, it's like there, it's a very strange thing to believe that the things that you have to say are worth listening to. Um, so like even just the act of writing at all takes a certain level of like, narcissism and extreme self-regard um which i think also leads to a lot of writers being having so much self-loathing is because they kind of hate the fact that they love to hear themselves talk or write mm. so i th and maybe that's part of why i don't care if like my friends or like my wife read my books is because i find the process of writing kind of like embarrassing like, I, th I think it's embarrassing to be a writer, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you have that, you know, that's why uh, it's cringy to romanticize, but yeah. you it's either romanticize it or don't talk about it because it's, it's just, 
it's just writing like i've been up two days straight typing shit walking around thinking of <laughs> shit picturing scenes in my head uh erasing the shit that i wrote like it i don't know there's nothing like glamorous about it it's just wow. words coming to a page and it's like something you do by yourself like at least when you're making music you know if you even if it, let's say making a three minute song takes you a year um still someone experiences that in three minutes you know and so like you can be like hey listen to this song and uh i'm gonna sit here with you while you listen to it if i handed you a book and was like will you read that book in front of me <laughs> you're like are you fucking insane that's a bit in a y'all ever see funny farm with chevy yeah. chase mm-hmm. chevy chase types up a screenplay and hands it to his wife and then sits in a chair and is just like watching her she's like <laughs> oh you want me to read it now he's like yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> fucking psycho yeah. and like i don't know it's everything about writing is just like kind of dumb like it's it's stupid to be like hey i spent you know a uh, hundred hours writing this book that's going to take you now three to ten hours to read and uh just do it it's like well most people honestly don't want to spend 10 hours reading something by you (laughs) they want to read something by someone famous who they know is like already you know made it like ah this has reached a quality filter already so it's worth spending 10 hours with um i mean that's the hard part of being a (laughs) an author at all is getting people to pay attention and then pay attention long enough to read a fucking book yeah you're working on a you have to really kind of hook them to make that work i think that artists have this figured out visual artists yeah because i listen to uh contain which has a lot of visual artists on and god bless barrett but whenever he gets one of these fucking retards on a show they have nothing interesting to say (laughs) (laughs) they are like just there's some people who are super interesting who do art and yeah. those are the people who have, you know, read a bunch of theory and they they have a, a lot of stuff to say, not about their own work, but about work in general. And then you'll get some people on who are just like like 85 IQ who are like, man, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. But their art is brilliant. Like their art is great. Oh, yeah, that's that's rare. They're, they're like stupid you... as fuck. You Rap listen too? to yeah. most rappers besides uh, speaking of contain when he had those uh what where were they called the hex core like oh you know, yeah those little that, kiddos that shit was fucking amazing that was extremely interesting mm-hmm. but um and I followed all of them immediately even though they have like I don't know probably 12 burner accounts cuz they're literally demon possessed or whatever they are demon possessed <laughs> yeah <laughs> But unless, yeah, unless you're like demon possessed, you're just a rapper and it's like, yeah, uh, it's like this song was brilliant. And it's like, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And I mean, I think part of that is because like um, David Lynch is a good example of this too. People are like, what were you trying to say with this like movie? And it's like, well, did you watch the movie? The movie yeah. is the talking. He has that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, he says it's like that people always want me to talk about my movies when I finish them, but the movie is the talking. Yeah, and I kind of feel that way about books, which has made me sort of like uh, continually shoot myself in the foot with uh, promotion throughout the time that I've been trying to publish stuff. Because people 
um, you know, they'll, they'll ask you questions about writing and my answers, they used to especially just be like, uh, I don't know, like I just did it. Like <laughs> the book, the book is the answer to your question. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like, it, it, I think part of being an artist is also you have to learn to do the performance of being a personality. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, and get over yourself too. Like that's for me. Cause like, I, I hate talking about writing with like uh with people who aren't writers because it's like it just sounds annoying <laughs> like like i can't think of a good if someone was telling me about like the religion they started well I, that's a bad example because i might find that interesting. yeah yeah that sounds cool <laughs> <laughs> but but i could imagine a lot of people would be like oh my god i don't want to hear about like your vision quest to see god um and I the feel like medical dictionary see- if a doctor yeah. just goes on and on about being a doctor, it's like, oh, this fucking guy. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, so part of like my newsletter is me learning to do the performance of, uh, well, even just talking about myself. Um, cause I don't, I don't do autobiography. I don't put myself in like my fiction. Um, Good. my books are just, they're about uh, made up shit even when I was doing realism, it was, it's just made up. Like these aren't real people. They're not me. Um, you can think they're me. That's fine. But like my books have nothing to do with me, <laughs> like, except for the fact that I write them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a conduit thing. I think that uh, when I'm talking to people about writing, I think that what people might not realize is that the entire agitator project is kelby and i talking about our writing this is just the most distilled version of it because the only way to really do it is to talk about other cool shit that influenced you right if you deflect from yourself like you can't sit somebody down and say here's my book and i wrote it and i did this and then i had this idea and then here's the the twist that's so crazy nobody cares right but you could sit down and every writer who i've ever connected with that these were the kind of conversations that we had but you said you talk about the shit that you both mutually like right and something weird happens in a you know a sideways fashion where through that conversation and through you guys connecting of like, oh, hey, you like David Lynch? I like David Lynch, too. Oh, fuck, you like LP? I like LP, too. Now you're like, I, I might read this dude's book. Like, we like the yeah. same things. So that's that's kind of what Agitator does, dude. I've yeah. noticed that kind of hitting with the Dying World promo, too. Uh-huh. People, people go nuts whenever you're like, this is basically Tetsuo and Akira and Meatball Machine. <laughs> what? <laughs> Well, of, like course, the, of course, because I've tried the promo method of being like, this is the idea that I had that I wrote. And I see authors do it every single day and they might get likes, they might not, but those books don't fucking, none of those books fucking sell. No. Right. Because it's like, oh, I, wait, you had an idea, bro. Who the fuck are you? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know you. I've heard some really good pitches from people who I like, whose writing I think is good. Uh, but I'll look at it and think like think to myself, oh, that's not going to sell. There's no way that like you fucked up. You fucked up because you just you, you know. Um, we mentioned Michael Seidlinger and his book. Uh, Anybody home is doing really good. 
Yeah. Uh, I have no idea what that Way book to go, is Michael. about. I have no idea what that book is about. You know it's what about, I mean? But that's, uh, it's about it's a home invasion, it, right? It's about is anybody home? Is it? Is it? It's about, uh, <laughs> but every everything that I've seen for it has been about uh, kind of the hype for itself and <clears throat> what else? Just sort of things that it's related to. But that's, I think that's smart. I think that's the way to go because yeah. Sidlinger did not. I've never heard him type a single word about what happens in the book. I think he <laughs> posted an excerpt. But he ne- he doesn't talk about it. But that's mm-hmm. I think that's good. Yeah. I think On it's both f- good and bad. I think it's like uh, I don't know. I mean, it's working obviously this time, um, which is which is great. I'm glad Michael's you know selling books, getting getting out there. He's been chasing it for a while. We all have. But uh, I think that um, I don't know. It's it's something that has taken me a long time to learn to do, which is like tell people actually about what the book is. Um, even at the Twin Cities Book Festival last month was actually a good thing for me in that way because you know people show up at the table and they're like uh, what's this book about and it's so, like they picked up my book I can't just be like oh you know it's like a it's like a fantasy book novel you know whatever mm-hmm. I, mean, I, could, I could do that but then they're not gonna buy it <laughs> you know? right, right. yeah and it's it's hard to uh what what genre would you say you write in fantasy um yeah i guess loosely i call it fantasy i mean but like i'm kind of a bad fit for fantasy too because i write uh i write about weird stuff like i don't i don't write about kings and queens no real weird real graphic mostly <clears throat> short you do have like a hundred fifty thousand word book in there that is not a no three hundred fifty thousand four hundred Four hundred, four hundred thousand word. Six hundred. Do I do I hear seven? <laughs> it's over nine hundred thousand. That's actually my goal with Howl is just to like kind of write it forever. Um, just keep writing these, stack them up for the next. Same, yeah. Forever, until yeah, it is like, uh, yeah, until it's like a million words, and then uh, I don't know, go to hell. <laughs> I, I have this thing about uh. <laughs> Kill, just like setting off the atom bomb at the end of shit where David had an alternate ending for Dying World where it would have killed the whole series that he's planning on this 10 book series and I was like yeah that's that's dope you should do that that's the ending and it would have just killed it and then yeah. like but that, that's well that's kind of like uh the funny thing when you come to ideas that you think are really funny so uh I did this with a different novella um it's it's in the shared folder too. It's a it's a uh, it's like a sword and sorcery fantasy book. It's about the length of Howl, but it all takes place over one night, and it's all leading to like this uh, you know sword fight at the end between this badass mercenary and like fifty people. Um, and the original version of it, I was I got to that point, I was like, it would be so much funnier if they just ran away instead. Right. And so I did that and I sent it to Kyle and he was like, he's like, this book sucks. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, he's, he's like, the whole book feels like it's going somewhere. And then he just runs away at the end. And I was like, yeah, but that's, that's funny. He's like, well, I mean, it is funny, but you, you can't build a book to, like, you can't build a road 
to Damascus and then just like stop a hundred feet before and go, whoops. Yeah, no, I get that. And that's, that's my, that's my worst impulse is to, yeah, I love anything, doing stuff like that, but it's anything it's, that I think is funny is immediately top of my list of what I want. To <laughs> It'll come to me in the shed, in the shower. I'll, I'll think to myself like, Oh fuck. Uh -huh. But if I did that, what if he just got his dick blown off? Like, well, <laughs> then you got to deal with, now you have a dickless character for how many books? Yeah. Uh, but back to the the selling of books you're talking about the the twin cities book festival and how you had to to sell your book and other people's books i think that there's a real value in once you've written a book uh separating yourself from it to the point that it's not yours anymore yeah. uh and being able to talk about it as a fan of the book instead of the writer of the book um because i can sell you and Kelby and I are testament to this. The Agitator podcast has sold countless copies of Berserk. Oh my countless god! Copies of <laughs> Send me like, a copy. I didn't pay for that shit. I, know, I don't have <laughs> Berserk. Buy yeah, buy us Berserk. Buy us Blam. Uh, but we we get people to watch movies and you know buy books and listen to music and all this kind of stuff. And then you notice that when you you mention your own shit, people are kind of like, mm. yeah. I'm not sure about that. So th there's a way, excuse me, I think of um, just completely separate, like talking about the book. <clears throat> like it's not, and you'll see famous writers doing this, right? Like you'll see, uh, maybe not Stephen King, James Patterson might be a better example of this. Uh, people who are able to talk about books and when they're describing their own books to you, it sounds like a fan of that book. Yeah, yeah. When James you know Patterson pops up on those infomercials and he's like, "Alex Cross gets his dick blown off," <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, right. He but seems you're, really but you're excited in it. about you're in it. it. Yeah, he's not coming at it from because we're so identity obsessed right now, and so like this is my experience and this is my 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 lived testimony that people try to sell their books that way, and that only works if you're hot. Like if you're a hot person who people want to be, then they <laughs> might fuck with that because they're like, hey, if this hot person <laughs> did this thing, then maybe. But if you're not hot, if you're just like a dude, uh, you kind of have to come at your own work as a fan of it. And I think for like traditionally published people, it makes it it's a little easier because, you know, um, let's say you're a debut novelist. It's getting published by like you know a big press. So you probably... You write your book. Let's say it takes you, let's just say a year. So it takes you a year to write your book. You spend another few months editing it. it takes you a year to find an agent. Uh, you find the agent. It takes the agent a year to sell your book. They sell your book. It takes 18 months for your book to come out from when it's sold. So like by the time your book comes out, you are so removed from it because it's been like, you know, three to five years. Mm -hmm. that it's easier to be a fan of your own book which is kind of how it was for me with like glossolalia because i wrote that in 2016 mm -hmm. um, i just didn't publish it until this year because i don't know i don't know what i've been doing for the last six years <laughs> writing books <laughs> um not doing anything um and like so but even to get back to like back-end ways to self-promote yourself which is like what agitator is i mean that's what my newsletter is too it was me basically announcing myself that I was back on the internet 
after uh, five years or six years, not on the internet, not like telling people about what I was doing. Um, and like even the uh, essay that I posted this week about Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's a great know, essay. Yeah, and it's like part of that is, uh, you know, taking stories seriously and putting yourself mm. into stories. And I think it's like the enthusiasm you have, the interest you have in something makes other people more interested. In it. And it's easier to do that when you're not talking about your own thing. Mm -hmm. um, because when you talk about your own thing, you're uh, harder to trust because like you have a financial stake in it, but you can put yourself into the fiction of other people and you can talk about yourself and you can make stories using uh, existing media and use those stories to talk about yourself or to tell your own stories. Um, and the reason I published that one this week is because it is about a cyberpunk game. Like Final Fantasy VII is a cyberpunk game. And it was sort of me introducing Howl in a in odd way. Because <laughs> it, it also doesn't have anything to do with Howl. Um, but it, at the same time, it does. Uh, because, I mean, as the essay goes into, it's like these things, your whole life gets wrapped around these things. And especially something like Final Fantasy VII, which both came out in 1997 and like 2018, 2019, 20, I don't know when it came out. Um, you know, so it's like, it's come out twice during my lifetime and both times I was a very different person and so many different things have happened to me in between those things. And I feel so differently about that story both times and in different ways for different reasons. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's basically a minor memoir, this essay that I published earlier this week but it's also about a video game and it's about cyberpunk and cyberpunk is about howl howl's about cyberpunk <laughs> yeah yeah you have to create a soup and that that sort of blending of everything everything is everything this sort of like animistic way of looking at art and the influence and yourself like yourself reflected in things yourself and your own art yourself detached from it uh makes it easier to sell the shit too i think i've been getting better in my head i haven't been actively like promoting shit but in just thinking about my own shit i don't get hung up on it so much because i uh am busy writing the next thing we got in this <laughs> groove of like, it's like the uh, flip side of the coin of the traditional route where you've, it's been so long ago since you wrote the thing that you're like, yeah, it's finally out. And this it's, I'm so excited and blah, blah, blah. And now it's just like, oh, that thing. Yeah. Well, let me tell you about this thing that I am not holding precious anymore and can just talk right. about because <laughs> I'm working on three other things right now. Yeah. And I mean, that's even been the funny thing. I've been doing this sort of blog tour um, at different websites, which is fine. But like, uh, what do you, what, you know, what's, what are you working on now? And that's always fun for me because I'm like, well, since Glossolalia got published, you know, two months ago, I already have another book out and this third one's coming out. Um, I didn't plan that to have so many books come out right away in a row after not publishing anything for eight years. But, uh, it's kind of funny and kind of fun to just be like, like Howl came about in a fun way. Even the title being Howl, 
uh, Kelby, you came up with that before I even started writing it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was like, what should I call this thing? And you're like, how? And I was like, sweet. And <laughs> like, should the title be how old? Probably not, but like, you know, it'll make more sense in the second one. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, there's like, a, there's a wolf at least. Yeah. But it, it's like, dude. at the same time, it's like, who cares if it makes sense? It just is the title. That's I, I paid Cameron Pierce $25 five years ago to give me the title dying world. I was like, Hey man, come up with a title and a concept and I'll give you $25. And he said, okay, it's, it's called dying world. And it's about a guy who starts to see a man with a deer head following him around. (laughs) And, uh, and that's why I can't give Kelby too much shit for mercy being delayed a week because, uh, yeah, Cameron gave me that five years ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we know <laughs> we know how Eddie came up with how Howl came into existence. Let's talk origin stories. Oh, so <clears throat> the Dying World origin story is fucking hilarious because I was uh, I had just moved to Portland. Was that five years ago or long? It was longer, was longer than that. Than, it was longer than that. It's like seven years ago. So, uh, let's see. By the time came out, and it was a banger, selling like crazy. Lowdown came out, sold a little bit less, but still selling good. The French version was coming out. I got flown out to France, and I was feeling myself, fellas. I was like, dude, I'm a fucking author. Let's go. So I had four ideas for books, <coughs> and I um, I got the the title from Cameron. I got the cover from Matthew Rivera. Um. I heard about what a dick swinging contest is in real life. And uh, you guys are never going to believe this breaking news, but it's when you swing <laughs> your dick into another dick to try to break it. <laughs> like, like oh. giraffes. That's how giraffes fight. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so picturing the- giraffes like with their little, their little, I don't know why I think of them as little arms. They have giant legs, <laughs> but in my head, they turn into little T-Rex arms whenever they, like rear rear back and swing their dicks at each other. So I had the cover. I had the cover and then I made a and then I made a Kickstarter. The audacity of this bitch. I'm so retarded. I had the, I, I was like, I'll make a fucking Kickstarter. I backed and, that one, I think. Uh you probably did. Yeah, where's my copy of Dying World? You are never getting your money back. Um, Where, where's my copy of Graceful Idiot? <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be a very different book too. But so all those books are coming out. Uh, they're they're for anybody listening to this who backed the the, the Kickstarter. Don't freak out; those books yeah. are coming. But what happened to me was that I developed uh, like a really bad addiction to chemicals, you know, uh, and <laughs> and I I just kind of spiraled out, and I I didn't. I didn't know what I wanted to do in the writing world anymore. And 
I was, uh, this might, see, I've never been diagnosed. I, Kelby, you've been diagnosed bipolar, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've uh, never been diagnosed, so I, I won't claim it, but I do feel like I get to these really high highs and these super low lows. And I was riding on this super high when I started that Kickstarter and I just had faith that I could pull it off. And then literally the day the Kickstarter was over, I felt like, oh, I can't do any of this shit. <laughs> I, I fucked up. Um, and so what's really weird about that is that the, the guilt from not finishing books compounds your depression. So you, you can't get them done. Right. Like you just, you keep feeling, excuse me, more and more bad about shit <laughs> until, you know, you, it's five or six or seven years later. And you're finally like, hey, here's a book. So that book has gone through so many iterations where I tried to start writing it. It was about an eco-terrorist cell at one point. It was about an old man in a cabin in the woods for a while. It was even about, uh, you know, uh, lowlifes in, in rural Oklahoma doing weird drug shit. And there was a deer guy, right? So it's it's been through many iterations and it took doing this podcast and being like oh and playing cyberpunk 2077 to be like oh okay i can do this now i get it that one was kind of cyberpunky too the version that had the like low lives that worked at the garage and then oh i forgot i sent that to you yeah 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 so it, it has existed in several different forms it was just oh yeah like we actually write this shit it's not like I've written mercy like four times in the past month. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really? just that, yeah. yeah, it's just that the ones that actually come out, uh, are usually very different from the initial, initial thing. I mean, you guys write way different than me. Um, cause I just, I just, I just start running. And like when I run into a, if, if I run into a brick wall, uh, sometimes I just never, I never, I never write in it again, which, also sucks um i'm gonna start doing that because i've watched you like we <clears throat> we've made reference to the the group chat and the the shared documents and all that i've literally watched you write before <laughs> yeah and, I, wrote, uh, I wrote all of powell in a uh, google docs live yeah and i've thrown a, i mean the rest of mercy mercy is live now so i'll just finish oh, yeah? it over there but uh the way you just throw it out there blew my mind i was like what the f how is he just writing but in trying to finish mercy by tomorrow or today uh which is actually going to be the eighth now i started just freestyling over the past two days and was like fuck it what comes out is what comes out and so much more grew from that yeah that like it was it's the opposite of writer's block. Like I, I actually, I'm never going to outline again, even. And I don't think of myself as an outliner, really. But I write down a lot of notes and yeah. just have random ideas. Fuck all that shit. I'm like never writing down a note again. I'm just going to sit down and flow because <laughs> so much shit just piles out of that. That That's why Mercy's delayed a week now because it became... Mercy became something I care too much about to just be like, ah, it is what it is. I was like, oh, yeah. it's when mm. I, when I was reading it today. Well, I mean, this is like two hours ago. I was like, man, you probably can finish this in time. 
but it's too good to just like leave at like you know 70 percent polish like it's uh, it's so good guys you guys man you guys are gonna love this book it's so good it's uh it's my favorite kind of story it's like the road but better than the road well that that sounds that sounds crazy <laughs> it's good <laughs> <laughs> i can't just tell people that like you know Kermit mccarthy like one of the greatest living writers right now that everyone loves yeah the book fucking sucks compared to kelby <laughs> yeah they automatically Kelby, kelby's all about it though kelby's like fuck yeah let's go. <laughs> i'm like well I, I i agree with you i agree with you. but um but I, I, I love the road too actually the road is a big influence on it uh yeah i you can feel that like it's it's got that right kind of dynamic god of war is like this too where i i love stories of a uh a mentor and a mentee um and uh things just things just well not necessarily go wrong but they just they just percolate and they percolate in good ways but uh the whole notes thing i never used to write notes but now i write notes for everything because i forget everything um i i've talked about this on my newsletter recently which is something that something i never talked really about with anybody before but it's like uh a lot of people they talk about it, oh yeah i have a bad memory too and i used to tell people that and they'd be like you know relatable be like oh yeah i also don't remember stuff I'm like no man like i don't remember anything <laughs> like there there are years of my life that i feel like i remember like two things from uh which is weird but there are other memories in my life that like i feel like certain memories have grown so large in my head that they have like swallowed my other memories um but uh but because I don't remember anything, I have to write stuff down to just even remember what I'm doing. Like, cause I'll, I'll get an idea for a novel. So I have to write down the notes so that when I come to it, even like a day later, I remember what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> it's just stupid. But, uh, but I, yeah, I, I'm not a note taker. I'm not like an outliner in general because of the way that I wrote my first book, which was a, uh, I never was able to write anything longer than like 5,000 words. And then kind of half joking to myself, I was like, what if I wrote a book by Friday? And it was like Sunday night. And I kind of laughed about it to myself. And then I just started writing a book. And uh, I I did write a book by Friday. Um, And it was just flying by the seat of my pants, just going with whatever came to me. And uh, that book is good. (laughs) That's like... That's what I love to hear. And really the most inspiring writers to me are you two and, and David and Grant, like yeah. the, our, our group chat, because that's the key factor of all this shit. You hear about it all the time. Like I've started listening to other writing podcasts that are way outside any circle I've ever been affiliated with. Uh-huh. Um, Cause I'm, I'm not interested in cult of personality stuff. I just want to, sell books you know and hear about writing and shit and they uh they're they're not good though (laughs) like that's like they have the the perfect attitude like the shit that i fuck with but then it's like yeah yeah i'm just a pantser and it's like and then you got the people being like well no no i outlined because of blah 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 and Mm -hmm. built their cases for this way or that way and then you check out their books and you're like, just give up. Just how about I'll save you some time. Stop doing all of it. Well, and like, I think what you're finding with Mercy is what 
has always been true with me ever since I wrote that first book. Cause like, you know, when, when you're like 20 and you think you're going to write a book, people are like, Oh, you wrote 5,000 words today. Well, you're going to spend, you know, the next three weeks editing that into shape. And, uh, that was not the case for me, but because like right. that kind of idea got in my head, I was like, I was constantly stopping and starting. Um, and so I was never really able to write anything that was like noveling. So this time I just, I ran with it, wrote it in a week. And uh, what you find, I think in writing Mercy this time, and what I've always found to be true is um, your intuition and like the things that you're, your brain is making all these connections while you're trying to like, just keep up with the flow. And so your book ends up being about way more stuff and connecting in ways that you never even could have planned for. Um, and it makes it, it, it gives it such a, like a rich texture that you didn't plan for, uh, because all these connections you didn't even realize you were making just sort of coalesce together. And part of it is just like being in that flow. Um, like I imagine if you're like a freestyle rapper, the way that you can freestyle rap for 10 minutes and have it not suck ass is because you just, you're just tapping into something and running with it and it works because you're just you're just in it there's like no real way to explain it but uh you know a resonance can happen through a book through meticulous editing but it can also just happen because you're like you're running as fast as you can in the stream of infinite flux and uh you just go let's go infinite flux (laughs) my favorite banger banger. line from hell banger line (laughs) infinite infinite flux nice just slipping Uh, that in there but you know but you're right though I just real quick. I do yeah, want to say that I, I do think that a lot of books these days are extremely overwritten and over edited. There's just something missing. There's an organic element to books where it's not that the books that we write are, it's not that they're sloppy. It's just that they 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 feel it's like I said when I was describing how at the beginning of the episode, it's like you can just feel you co- I feel like readers have to feel you having fun and have to ex- yeah. literally discover things with you as you find them. And when you overwrite or you over edit and you can tell that something's been worked over to death, whether or not there's a cool reveal or something crazy happens in the book, it feels planned. It feels like it's all been, you know, and, and that's not, that's not writing though. Right. Like you should be right there with the writer, finding it out as they find it out. Uh, I mean, I think you can make that stuff work. I feel I mean, I don't know how Agatha Christie wrote. I've never even read it. Why am I bringing up Agatha Christie? I don't know. She writes backwards. I love Agatha Christie. Shout out yeah. Agatha Christie. But it's like, you know, the, there is a way to meticulously edit and make it feel really good. But I know what you're talking about. Like, sometimes you can feel like um, like the reveal is, it's like hidden behind their hand. And you you see their hand cupping that fucking card. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just, just show me, show me. Like fucking show me. They're like, oh, you're gonna find out in 200 pages. And it's like, Jesus Christ! Like, I don't want to find out in 200 pages. Well, I see the fucking, I see you cupping right. that card. <laughs> like, it's yeah. that, but it's also it's that, but it's also just. I I think that something gets transmitted onto the page when you're writing a kind of spontaneity 
And so I think that there is like a real imperative for writers to get good at writing books the way that you or me or Kelby or Stephen Graham Jones or all these other fuckers write books. You know, like you can feel it in a Stephen Graham Jones book. You can feel that he gets edited, especially now, (laughs) but you can still feel. (laughs) Boo. Leave in the yes. (laughs) Leave in all the yes. My man says yeah like a motherfucker. (laughs) All the fucking time. And I'm here for it. I love that shit. He can't, he can do no wrong in my mind, but, uh, but you can feel the spontaneity of it. And I think that that's what people connected to with the only good Indians and uh, my heart is a chainsaw. Right. Sure. Is that did, like, did you guys read Nolan Dugati way back when? Yes. Oh I yeah. Fucking, yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's I mean, my like, favorite Stephen Graham Jones book actually. Oh really? So, yeah. So he wrote that in a three day. Uh, novel. And you can tell, you can tell because the scenes are in inter- Like, so there's a guy who is, he's the last remaining employee at a, at a game tip hotline right but then it's interspersed with these scenes of his dad who's constantly trying to kill himself and constantly telling his son that he's gonna (laughs) kill himself (laughs) it just gets weirder and fucking weirder and you're like oh yeah he's just coming up with this shit that's my favorite stephen graham jones book and there's an investigation yeah and then there's a ninja that ninja came out of nowhere but like you can feel like that that naturally occurring resonance stuff that I was talking about with like when you get in the flow is like the novel feels so solidly constructed even though it was just like thrown together in mm-hmm. 72 hours you know yeah. it's uh, solidly constructed because he's a gangster well and I think he- that there is just something when you're literally just like sprinting on your keyboard uh there's no time for you to forget that thing that you wrote 30 pages ago. Cause that was like an hour ago. Right. You know? so yeah. It's like, yeah. So like, like continuity and shit like that. Yeah. Well, it's also just like, I feel like the resonance of images and like these like connections that happen between like the first and last page, there's like, I, I mean, I don't have the words for it cause I just do it. But um, my first novel that I was talking about, which was my third novel published noir love story currently unpublished maybe coming out next year we'll talk about that later <laughs> um noir love story like it it resonates together and it kind of like vibrates on a specific wavelength because of the way it was written like i uh, think it's a very good book i think Noir's i love a that very book. good book it's i mean i, I have it, on, my, I have it on my shelf right here yeah it's uh i have a lot of affection for it because it's my first book but i still i actually think it's a really good book um that was me trying to do uh, Bolaños and Virginia Woolf and a bunch of other people at the same time. And I think it came out actually pretty well. So but, is there a thing to adopting? I love that you brought up the freestyle metaphor. We mm-hmm. talked about rappers earlier also being, you know, retards who don't know what make their shit good. But the, the freestyle, and it's surprising because Kelby and I talk a lot. And Kelby, if we brought this up and I just forgot, that's my bad. But um but yeah, it's it's freestyling, basically. Yeah. Like you're good, you know how to put words together, you catch a beat, and you just fucking freestyle like Kelby's doing with Mercy. That's a perfect metaphor. Yeah. Could I mean, y'all and this is like this isn't a rhetorical cocky question, because I'm still working on it. So like honest answers. Like, could y'all tell where I was trying to speed through 
and and at what point I already had that shit written. Uh, I could, I mean, there are some obvious places that you're speeding through because they're just like notes. But <laughs> oh yeah, no, 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 no. I think I think no. I think that the the stories with the uh, let me tell you a story about your mother. I, I'm not saying that you're speeding through them to get through them, but those are definitely instances where you He's caught. Dying. Well, he caught he caught an emotional vibe, right? Away, because man. he's because he's talking about Erica. You know and what I mean? Like he's he's feeling it, and it's these big brick paragraphs that are great, no notes, change nothing, but those are clearly written in a go. They're written in a go. It when it gets tough, it's like the ones where it feels like you slowed down is when the kids are digging the ditch, right? Because you have to introduce a drug and. <laughs> <laughs> they're digging for water and you know, all this kind of shit right um but then you hit these big like it's like letting a horse like a, a wild mustang out into a field and yeah. he's just fucking ripping mercy's your best book dude and i'm glad that you're giving it another week yeah. because it is uh, your best book. it's 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 just you know i'm a huge fan of what you do sincerely but uh, Mercy's a cut above. It's like it's like a turning of a page. It's a, it's a new thing. So and anyway, I'll say this: uh, there's a scene in there that will make me cry. Mm-hmm. Would have made me cry today if it was ready today. I think it's mm-hmm. not the the structure's not there yet, but it will be there, and uh, it won't make me cry now because I know it's coming. But when I read it again in like five years, I'll be like, oh man. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. And I'm also and, glad that you included my joke in there because I gave you a joke about the dad's heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad, just, I'm glad that oh, that's man. there. That was just word for word. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but but like uh David, I think you're on like what you said about like the monologues, that's that's my favorite kind of writing. Not not monologues, yeah. but like yeah. when when I can blast through like 2000 words in half an hour mm-hmm. that's because it was just i was just in it like you caught it yeah you caught the wave basically yeah so. like i think i told you guys uh david recently you asked me what was the most or like the most i've ever written in an hour and i told you i wrote uh 15, words in three hours one time mm-hmm. that's what that was so i've been driving all day my job sometimes which is dumb involves me driving a long way uh now sometimes when i'm on those drives and i'm falling asleep i call david to try to not kill myself because i do sometimes fall asleep while i'm driving and then i'm like do it do it. <laughs> <laughs> let go of the wheel man <laughs> uh, but i've been driving all day and i got to my hotel at like uh, seven o'clock at night and right away i just got into bed opened up my laptop and typed until uh 10 o'clock and it was literally 15,000 words. And it's this, one, it's this one unbroken scene. It is the best thing I've ever written. But uh, except for like the, the things that I think are really funny. This one isn't, uh, this one, this one has different kinds of jokes that are fucked up. But, Yo, uh, so you were, so you were driving where yeah. you can do nothing, yeah. bro. Is there a, is there something there where the ideal <clears throat> writer lifestyle where people talk about like, you know, wake up and make a cup of coffee and blah, blah, blah. And then sit down and do your 1500 words. 
I like this more uh, bipolar, monastic, <laughs> psychopath kind of thing where it's like, no, sit in a fucking room for three hours and stare at a wall and then just go. That I might mean, be we we could we could put out some courses about this shit. Yeah, here's the actual secret. I mean, during, I don't recommend it, but go ahead, Kelly. Well, I was gonna say so during and I haven't even told y'all this because I was embarrassed and nervous and didn't want to like like if Mercy was coming out tomorrow, I was like, I'm not gonna tell y'all this. Y'all like this is gonna jinx me. Plus you're gonna think I'm fucking insane. Um I scrapped Mercy last Friday and rewrote it. <laughs> like and a lot of it stayed the same like some of it did just like okay yeah that that's just how that's gonna be uh but i got to a point where i was doing the walking all the things that we said we're not doing anymore you know i had the internal editor turned on i was in my head about does this make sense does it matter that it makes sense how much sense does it need to make like and it was just it was not fun and so i was like well this shit drops next week so fuck it delete and just start it all over and was like okay i'm just flowing the whole fucking thing do you actually delete it or did you save that other stuff no i do i deleted it oh my god that's crazy that's that's i went that's that's so insane that's like shave your shave your balls with a razor insane (laughs) yeah which is which is terrifying and uh manscape.com if you enter promo code (laughs) um i actually shaved my balls by putting peanut butter on them and letting my dog nibble on it until all the hair is off yeah we have cats and they have those scratchy tongues so it's same thing but like scratchy tongue takes it all off Oh yeah, it actually works. Whereas you're just getting a blowjob from your dog. <laughs> it's not a blowjob. I don't put my dick in her mouth. I just let her lick my balls. Yeah. It's not weird. Stop being, <laughs> stop being like this. Hey man, we all have dogs, you always, right? You always act like this. You always act like the things that I say are weird and gay. <laughs> no, but man, that that's crazy. That's like that is such a hardcore move. I've never just straight up thrown stuff completely out um if i cut i knew i I wouldn't i knew i wouldn't finish it i knew i'd just stay stuck in my head there'd be that sentence that got me hung up to begin with and i'd be like but i can make it work and no it just had to go that's the most hardcore thing i've ever heard because what's funny too is uh i so david i talked to david last week and he was like he told me that when he had been talking to you you had been talking about how mercy had gotten been getting bigger. And then like yesterday you said you wrote, I don't know, like 10,000 words or whatever. And I looked at it today and I looked at the word count. And I was like, did Kelby start this yesterday? <laughs> like, like, Cause he's just been like talking shit for the last like two months about writing this fucking book. Um, so it's funny that you just like straight up threw it out. Cause man, that's, that's fucking, that's crazy. Some of Sometimes, the word stuff, David and I were talking a lot about word count and uh, we, we can get into the word count stuff, but like that's part of how like it was so kind of easy. I mean, yeah, I guess it was easy. I was just like, fuck this and hit delete. Um, but it was because the word count was fluctuating so much that I was seeing how fast I was writing and I was like, 
I'm not concerned with how big it is. Yeah. Like I have to write 40,000 words. It's like, yeah, I can do that. Cause I've done that in the past few days. Like, so I'll, I'll do it. And the amount that it ends up being is whatever, but like, I don't fucking know. I've put like done 75 K worth of typing on this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes low key though. That's the way to do it. That's the way dying world was. I don't even know how many words dying world has had put into it over the past five years, but it's a, it's a 22,000 word banger now. So, and all those, you know, tossed off manuscripts, like I had to go back uh, because I would hit some scenes and be like, Oh shit. I remember I wrote something and I was like looking, I was trying to find like old files where I'd written something so I could cheat and just cut and paste. And they were gone, of course, (laughs) non-existent, but, uh, but a lot of it's just there. And I think that, uh, I mean, that's just how fucking, that's just how the whole thing works for me at least. I think that that is, it's funny because like you'd think what with the way that we're talking about, especially are obviously different styles of like writing a book that I would be the one who's like torching my past to just like write the new thing. But I have fucking millions of words on my laptop. Like I have almost everything that I've written, unless it was for like a website specifically back when I used to be like a columnist or like uh, things that are on my Substack right now, radical edward.substack.com subscribe. Get a free book. Subscribe. Um, Enter promo code. Adjective. Yeah. <laughs> uh, full year is twenty dollars off. Forty bucks ain't bad. You might you'll, you'll get six books next year. Um, but uh, I keep everything because uh, I don't know. And like sometimes I do like random analysis on it. Like I'll be like, okay, so like that's how that's how that's how I know how much I wrote like year to year is because I'll be like, okay, I wrote. Uh, 315,000 words in 2016 or whatever, you know, and, and I'll know that because I have the documents and I'll like go through and be like, oh, this scene, like, so I've talked to, in the past with you guys about this 400,000 word book that I wrote. Um, I know the average chapter length, which is 1700 words. I know how many chapters there are, which is like 196. And like, there's, there's no reason to know that stuff. I didn't count. I didn't number them like one to 196. Uh, but I just like, I, I do these like stupid things with everything that I have to just, I don't know. I guess it's a way to not do other stuff. <laughs> but, but like, so the yeah. idea of just like writing a version of a book and tossing it is, it's insane to me. I've also done it three, <laughs> three times before. They never turned into anything and Mercy really is the best thing that I've written. But uh I have tossed three books before. Man. I I mean I've, yeah, I've tossed so many books. <laughs> I have I have three books that are unlikely to ever be published, but uh I still have them. The second book I ever wrote, so Noir Love Story was the first book I ever wrote. Uh it was 26 narrators. Um, talking about two people who don't have a speaking part in the novel. Um, so my second book, I decided to write the exact opposite thing. So rather than write this like crazy nonlinear thing, I wrote something that was uh, 
it's like a basically like a dreamscape thing but it it's an unbroken narration from beginning to end uh from a single point of view and uh it's so bad it's like the worst thing <laughs> ever. but I, <laughs> but i that's still so important it. too by the way like okay i love this <clears throat> like the worst shit you've ever written it's so bad I'll, I'll okay so eddie 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 divulged that kelby what's the worst shit you've ever written cactus honey what, what is that? that i sent it to you whenever i wanted to be uh i didn't read that shit I, good. maybe i could feel the vibes maybe i could feel like nah this ain't gonna be it yeah because when i i told you actually a little bit later um we uh after after we became blood brothers and we're tatted together and bound in unison until death we um mm-hmm. uh, i was like i forgot you... we are brother we actually are blood brothers That's we actually we are blood brothers yeah we did not okay. sterilize those needles <laughs> um give each other's dicks tattooed on each other <laughs> my yeah, arm's yeah. not long enough bro <laughs> oh! <laughs> that's why it's a back piece he's <laughs> like my finger's too big <laughs> Yeah, I got a cute little ankle thing. Uh, <laughs> he, got, he got a little like what like a white trash little rose, like an <laughs> like an iris on his ankle. <laughs> but uh what was it? Oh, it's a I'm trying to let me recall it. So cactus honey. I was I was big um into exos and meth and some other shit whenever i first met david and uh broken river had just gotten started up and i really wanted to be a part of it and i sent him this book that i wrote while high on meth like i wrote it in a shed uh, and and kaczynski style yeah <laughs> while making palms i wrote this little book and it was like Okay, it's something to do with there's a desert and this guy who gets high off of cactus honey, which is honey that comes out of a cactus. Okay, cool. Thanks for the (laughs) clarification on that. Yeah, no, I'm just like, it it wasn't clever. (laughs) Um, He is having sex with an underage girl. And then Let's she go. gets she gets abducted, skinned, her remains are thrown on his porch. That's and then he's like and then he gets kidnapped or something. And the guy who kidnaps him is like, if you don't eat people, I'm gonna rape you. And so this then kind of sounds hard, bro. I'm not gonna lie. It uh, <laughs> there's there's things I've thought about it, and I'm like, the concept, you know. Cause it's intense. Every part of it was like, damn, but, uh, it was so bad because I was high as fuck. Right. And I was like, you know, so I was, there was no filter in coming up with this fucked up shit, but at the same time it'd be like, um, and then the man turned into a turtle and he fucked him in the mouth. And it's like, this is not good. I'm still feeling to see where this is not the hardest book of all time. (laughs) (laughs) but it's funny how like because so this book echoes that sucks uh there's parts of it that i really love so it's you guys ever read uh edm the low hung hands by 
Brian Carr. Yeah, but of yeah. course. Yeah. <clears throat> Shout out to Brian, big homie. Group, group up, chat. Our, uh, our second group chat where Brian just uh Yeah, he won't come on signal, so he's he the... just he, he just right. he just texts he just texts us his Spotify wrapped list and <laughs> <laughs> which is not embarrassing actually. I was like, oh damn, okay. Mine's rap. mine's way more embarrassing. It's like Charlie XCX, the Cyberpunk soundtrack. Oh, and, hold up, uh, hold up. I'll I'll stand by Charlie XCX. But well, well, I mean, but it's also like my most played song this year was uh, "Laid to Rest" by Lamb of God, which is a fucking badass song. So <laughs> actually, I, you know what, Kelby, you're right. F- fuck it, my 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 Spotify rap is tight. You guys are different because my Spotify is just basically whatever my son wants to listen to, so it's just it's all over the place. Fortunately, it's not as embarrassing <laughs> as it could be. It's mostly just Coheed and Cambria and the White Stripes, but uh, <laughs> and, and like yeah. and like and like Blippy podcasts or something. I like, dude, oh, I was it had I, had I not introduced him to the White Stripes and Coheed and Cambria, it would have just been Encanto. Like, mm-hmm. like you listen to uh, you know, Frigata or what's that Bruno song called? Bruno, whatever the fuck it's called. We don't talk about Bruno. Yeah, but like, the hardest song, the hardest song from Encanto <laughs> is the one that the big uh. Uh, the big muscular bitch thing. Yeah, gonna drip, drip, drip. Dude, that shit goes. Oh my god, that song is so good. That song like, is so good, but like, it's not good I, in the context of a kids show. It's it's a good song. Yeah, but like, so uh, my Spotify Wrapped had I not introduced uh, my son into these other bands and tried desperately to get him to like the Beatles, it would have just been in content. It would have been like you listen to. Uh, uh, Bruno for you know ten thousand hours. It's like <laughs> yeah, I started. I, I started showing uh, Gus the Beatles yesterday. Actually, we listened to just like the the top songs on Spotify. So it's like yesterday and yeah, uh, show twist, me, uh, twist and shout and shit like that. But he he seemed to be like, oh, yeah, it's all right. It's good show him life. the the rooftop concert. That's what I got Fritz to. That's what finally broke through to Fritz. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of those songs specifically, he would sing it with me. It was funny. We don't talk about Bruno. Oh yeah, that was like. I mean, those songs are good, but the the hundredth time you've heard it, it. <laughs> so I feel about uh, like Blues Clues has this banger about uh, rainbows and how rainbows uh, come into existence. It's raindrop sunlight and refraction. It's a banger. It's good. It's a good song, but yeah, I've heard that. I know that rainbows are are caused now by raindrops, oh, sunlight, yeah. and refraction. <laughs> um, how do we? Ta- oh yeah, we, I, I mentioned Brian. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Brian, I'm glad that you got us to Encanto, but uh, he finally got me the blurb from Glossolalia like uh, a few weeks ago. So I just put that instead for Howl. Um, but uh, <laughs> hell yeah that's the way to do it <laughs> and so he, he was funny too because when he sent it to me he wasn't like sorry this is late or like anything he was just like here it is but i tried to make it as generic as possible so you can use it wherever and i was like sweet i'm gonna use it right now on a different oh way. yeah that's the best way to do blurbs it's not like hey this book is blah 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 yeah. it's like no this writer does these things <laughs> yeah that's, and that's uh, the... steve erickson did that for me too which um man i always forget that no, really? I, you got I a Steve never, Erickson blurb? I never forget that Steve Erickson blurbed my book, but I sometimes Dude, I didn't know that. And and Zero Villa is one of my favorite books of all time. 
to be cool to people i'm like oh yeah i just like forget like but it's like no i never forget but yeah he blurred uh, <laughs> he noir on love story um that's so tight dude that's so badass no well, steve erickson even... is, is is the goat like um yeah, my favorite what was the book uh the the, the not these dream uh what was the one where the it's a chick and she, she's like by the sea and oh, the sea came in at midnight the sea came in at midnight thank you yeah 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 Good. sea came in at midnight uh Rubicon zeroville these dreams of you uh oh, man he's such a like the, that like zeroville in particular uh, along with uh brian evanson's last days uh made me write my first book actually yeah. so, like so zero Zeroville is actually my least favorite book of his, but uh, mm-hmm. in 20 or 2008, I read all the books that he had out twice in like a two month period. Bro, but in Zeroville, the chapters go in reverse order. They go oh, down to dude. one. <laughs> <laughs> flap. So, um, Survivor did it first. Yeah, but like uh, I love Steve Erickson so much and like uh, the way the way I got his attention. Oh my god, this is so funny. Cause going back to the Facebook days, uh, it's like anytime you know, we were in this small group of writers who were all idiots and stupid on Facebook together. And uh anytime someone would be like, What's your favorite book? I just like I would name drop him, but I would also tag him. <laughs> and Facebook, so Facebook ev- used to work like that. Oh uh, yeah, eventually I just I reached out to him by Facebook message because like he's you know you can't like it's like whoa email his publicist is like nah it's not gonna work I was like maybe he'll respond on Facebook and he did and uh he read my book and blurbed it he's got a dude to the ground dude like like his uh black clock magazine had some killer fucking writing I haven't yep. seen shit from anybody who I read in black clock I have those issues somewhere well, that's like the but, funny uh, thing so I think my favorite thing about Steve Erickson is he's the reason I really even know about like a bunch of indie press stuff because he uh, wrote the introduction to Grace Cl- Grace Kurlanovich's The Orange Eats Creeps. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that pulled me in. Uh, he wrote a blurb for Joshua Cohen's book, uh, who Joshua Cohen just won the Pulitzer this year. Way to go, man. Shout uh, out, bro he uh so that's how i found out him i asked him to blurb my fantasy book which is like the funniest thing in the world to ask mm-hmm. the most literary writer in the world to blurb <laughs> a fantasy book um mm-hmm. he, he was really nice though uh he didn't he didn't blurb it but he was really nice <laughs> uh famous children's author patrick winsink has blurbed me before so <laughs> i like patrick yo pat wants to get on broken river he sent me a book Really? I, man, mm-hmm. Pat, he came when, uh, I used to hang out with him at AWP and like in Minneapolis, he was at my house. He's the coolest motherfucker ever. I love that and dude. Gu- Gus loves his, uh, gorillas go, go. I fucking love, I was so mad. How do, okay. These people got to stop being gatekeepy with like, um, some with their cousins, I guess, narrating some books. Cause I should do gorillas go bananas. Mm. I didn't know he did a kid's book. Yeah, no, that's Pat made a bag off off his gorillas books. They're and, so uh, good too. They're so funny. And then he funny. he comes to me. He's like, he's like, hey, I want to send you this. And I I read it. I was like, man, I don't. <laughs> my whole thing with Pat 
And Pat, if you're listening, call me, bro. Fuck like, off. No. <laughs> like, like we'll, 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 we'll talk about this shit. But like, I read his shit and it's really good. It's a, it's a, it's a novel, you know, it's a novel for grownups. And I was like, bro, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that you want to go with Broken River. Yeah, I, I had this, I had this thanks. really weird thing with Broken River where it's like, mm-hmm. people, people hit me up to like put books out and I'm like, I don't think you understand what this is. You know what I mean? Like, and I've tried to make it clear so many times what Broken River actually is. And I'm like, I'm not a publisher. You see what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. if I put your book out, I'm not going to do shit. Like, I'll talk talk about it and be like, hey, this book is really great, but I'm not going to do anything. And I read a book uh, from a person like Pat who is a, he's so talented and just just a good dude right but i read it and i'm like oh yeah no no we're writing books <laughs> we're writing books like a week before we put them out <laughs> this, is just, this is just a different thing dude like you're, it's just it's just not i would feel bad is what i'm saying right like i, I, I already don't like being a publisher because i don't like uh you know being responsible but yeah, I, yeah, I really don't people. like being a publisher when people are like, okay, so you are now the man in charge of releasing my book. And I'm like, bro, nah. <laughs> like, <laughs> How about I'm you start just, writing I'm, another I'm just, one and just I'm get just really gonna famous hit, or something? <laughs> I'm just going to hit publish. And if it makes a bunch of money, then I make a bunch of money. Oh, yeah. You don't, you don't make a bunch of money, but I do. And I did nothing. It's it's fucked up, dude. It's a fucked dude, up. That's system. like that's like what all these. I mean, that's that's what publishing is right now. It's like yeah, dude. it's. I mean, it's entirely possible that they're just smarter than me, and that my my whole thing is like naive, right? That like a publishing house should have a vision and should put out a certain kind of book and and, and well, try to get a certain your, kind of thing out in the world. Your vision is Broken River, which is not a publishing yeah. house. Yeah. It's not. No, it's a collective. I definitely changed that because I'm like, I am not the boss. I don't want to be in charge of anything. All the authors keep everything that they make. It's essentially a self-publishing uh, house, but I do look at the books and I do, you know, like, okay, you like I <laughs> for how Eddie wrote it. And then I was like, Hey man, if you just want to make that a broken river book, like, <laughs> it's cool. Like just put the symbol on it. It's fine. But Eddie Eddie uploaded that shit himself. Like that's that's his book. Mercy's going to be Kelby's own book, and I don't understand why small publishers can't adopt this kind of mindset where it's like I don't want your fucking money. You know what I mean? Like I just I want to create a that symbol that the Broken River symbol is very powerful. It's a powerful sigil. I've got it on my fucking wrist. You know, and I have it on my arm. And people, people know what it means and people see that and it has some kind of weight to it, but it's not a, it's not like a big money making, like Broken River isn't making fucking money. Like, like at all, it's not a business. It's not a big publishing house like Simon and Schuster. And I see all these presses that pretend that they're that. And it drives me fucking nuts because like, why would you do that? Why not just be like, Hey, I had I I I was at a bar with my buddy Eric, you know, 10 years ago, and I said I wanted to be a publisher, 
And on a napkin, we drew like 12 different designs. I picked this one. That's mine now. And I have a an idea of what I think is cool. And there are zero books on Broken River that I don't think is cool. But like readers can see that symbol and be like, okay, I have an idea of what I'm going to get. But at the same time, I don't want to, I don't want to be a business. I don't want to be a business. Like I don't want Kelby's money for writing mercy. I don't want your money for writing how, like, I just want to make cool shit. (laughs) I mean, it's the, I mean, what other publishers are doing is it's the Taco Bell quarterly kind of way of small press stuff, which is just, it is all about you. You know, it's, it's, it's more important to have the press be the known thing than any of the authors be even recognized. Right. Uh, and that's, that's fucked up too. That's fucked up too. I mean, like that's, well, I mean, that's, I mean, look at it though. It's like that talk about quarterly person, like from out of nowhere, they went from complete obscurity to now they have, they themselves have, you know, a ton of followers. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this with so many people you know, 10 years ago who started small presses is like their profile rose, not because of their books or their writing or even what they were publishing. It's just like, people are like, Hey, if I'm friends with this person, maybe they'll publish me. Right. <laughs> right, that's, right. That's the whole thing. It doesn't have to be like that though. It does, like my contention about this whole thing and my whole goal with broken river now is to be like, it doesn't have to be that way. Broken river can just be a symbol right and it's a it's a marketing sigil that people see and so when we say like hey there's a new book by eddie or kelby or david or grant or whoever right they can just say oh i like that thing i'll go buy that book you know what i mean like the the end goal of broken river is not to be like gray wolf or, you know, I'm not going to, I have no patience for writing grants or, you know, any of that kind of shit. I'm not interested. It's just literally here is a bunch of stuff that JDO thinks is cool. So you can read it or not, you know, That's way to do um, it. I think I figured it out. I think, I, I think it's cool. I think it's a cool way of doing shit. Other people should do it too. It's the most lucrative. If you're indie, if you're not going to get a contract and a lot of contracts don't sound attractive, like I'm not going to build up this myth. Like I have people knocking down my door, but I have interest and I'm the uninterested party. I'm like, I, that's not enough, bro. Like, right. If right. you want to give me a million dollars, then we can talk. Right. But like, or, but like, you know, to bring up it's like he, they gave him $7,500 for that book. Yeah, like I would what? not, I wouldn't sign. And they had right of first any refusal. Of that shit. You're that not shit. getting and right of first refusal. And he's texting us. He's like, these fuckers have right of first refusal. And I have to re- like just wait for them to read it and say no so that I can go other places. I'm like, you did all that shit for. I'm not talking shit about our boy, right? Like, uh, but what I am saying is that for people listening, I'm not a stupid person. I'm, I'm pretty smart in some ways. I'm very dumb in other ways, but I'm pretty smart in some ways. And I, I took one good look at the writing world. I spent about a year 
going to conventions and rubbing elbows and talking. And I was like, this is a fucking scam. Yeah. This whole thing is a fucking scam. Unless I wish I'd have known from them. the jump. Cause I'd have, I'd have been the one scamming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, right? I mean, it's good. It's good. And that's Kelby brings up a very important point about this, which is like, if you can make the scam work for you, then God bless you. Go for it. Right. And there are people out there who are, I'm not privy to some esoteric, uh, you know, hidden knowledge about how publishing works. Like a lot of people get this and they're like, okay, bet I get the rules. Now I'm going to make it work for me. Yeah. Bless. I mean, I had, I had three books come out in indie presses. The only one that I had a good experience with is the first one. And because he straight up told me basically what you're talking about is like, <clears throat> he goes, listen, I'm selling this book at cost. You don't get paid anything if I sell a book. It's just mm-hmm. the way it is. I don't get, I make like three cents per book. Is that Ash Cinema? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pablo Destair. I love Pablo Destair. I hope you are doing well. I haven't heard from you in a while. Um, but, uh, and he was just straight up with me. He's like, you're not going to be, you're not going to make money. You're not going to be famous. Like, this is just, he's yeah. like, I'm going to, I'm going to pick your cover. He actually picked, picked the title too, <laughs> which is way better. I, I don't remember what the original title was, but it was. Ash so Cinema is a good title though. It is. I mean, it's a great title. He, uh, I, I don't remember what the original title was, but it's one of those things where like you put a placeholder title and then it just, it just becomes the title to you, even though you hate it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like I had a great experience with him. And the funny thing about that one too, is, uh, that book was taught at, a college for a while so like it's the one that people have actually read it's probably been i don't know it's probably sold like a thousand copies but i didn't make any money (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like had i known that i would have started doing this a long time ago and like even you know i published glossolalia myself and i just wolf publishing that's a thing that's been my goal with wolf publishing is just like hey if people want to publish a book i'll help you put it out but it's just a collective it's whatever it's yeah yeah i'm not i'm not a like a the biggest lie that happened with small and indie presses and they're they're holding on to this lie for dear life <laughs> like they want it to be true the idea is first of all that publishers had any kind of power in the first place which they yeah. don't because a big publisher will fuck up a book the same as an indie one the second thing and the most important thing is that they have money, right? Money to put into a book. Yeah. If I had, if I hit the lotto tomorrow and I had a hundred million dollars, I would be like, Broken River is no longer a collective. It's a fucking <laughs> press. <laughs> because I have the, I have money. I'm going to put this shit everywhere. If I select your book, then, you know, it will be purchased by, at least 10,000 people. And yeah. I mean, that's New York tyrants is what you're talking about. Right. Because he like, had all that money. He yeah. had a bunch of money to put in. He, that was in a castle. he did. He did good work. He did RIP. Yeah. He did good work. But like where I'm at, I don't have shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I found that out with broken river very quickly. I was like, people are like, well, why aren't you doing this and that? And I'm like, uh, because I'm broke. I'm yeah. just as broke as you are, right? Like I'm a, I'm a fucking, I'm a startup. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, 
tiny micro business and I don't have that, but I think that there's, I don't think that that's bad if you reframe it as a collective and yeah. not as a press. You'll like start making like, more like, money if you frame it that way too, instead yeah, of like, trying to play the publishing game. You know, what really taught me something about the whole like fucked up nature of what indie press was way back when, when it back, even when it was good, it still sucked is like the the false promise of the internet is basically what we all fell into because at first it worked pretty well some of these presses did pretty well by just like selling things through like social media buzz but going to the twin city book festival really taught me that it's like man the way forward is the way that people used to do things 40 years ago like i sold 10 of my books in a few hours just by standing there and and everyone who walked by i'd go do you like weird books and everyone would look at me and be like what (laughs) (laughs) or they'd be like oh yeah because like people at a book festival don't want to be seen as like not interested in weird niche stuff um and that's all the hook you need whereas like if you're doing if you're making a facebook post it's like hey i got this weird book out people are like well i'm just gonna keep scrolling who gives a shit but if you can start talking to somebody in person, they're way less likely to say no, first of all. And uh, they might, buy, if you have like 10 books in front of you, they might buy one of them. And so I was able to sell a bunch of books just by being like, you like weird books? That was it. And yeah. you can't get that and, on me. Like, and people, I are, have, people are looking in person too. Like that, that's yeah. one of the myths I want to like just shatter every chance I get is that so many people read. They do like more people read now than ever before in history. And I don't even just mean like, because there's more people right now, but like percentage wise, more people read books now than ever before. And people will, you know, someone's going to be like, Oh, well, you know, this Pew research thing says, this is like, I don't give a shit. (laughs) Like as much as, as much point as you can do, it's never going to be that good. Like we see this over and over because you know who answers polls? <laughs> Almost nobody. Yeah. Have you ever answered a poll? No, I've always wanted to. I would watch. I when I found out that Family Feud consists <laughs> of people that they just randomly ask, I was always like, "Damn, why can't y'all don't want to ask me nothing?" That's like that. It's always sunny episode. Yeah, dragons. <laughs> yeah, dragons. <laughs> <laughs> But like, you know, as good as research can be and like polling can be and surveys can be, they're still missing so many people. They're, they're only response because, so I used to be uh, in this psychological field. So I know how a lot of this research works and uh, it's very, even when they say like, oh, this is a, re- this is a good representative sample. It's not, it never right. is. It's, no, it's it never is. It, it never is. All the information that we have is fucked. Yeah. <laughs> like it just, it just is like a default because- way to look at the world is somebody tells you a piece of information and you just say, that's probably not true. Yeah. I mean, people be like, cause like Pew research is like, well, you know, most people read like one book a year. It's like most people that they ask and like they, maybe they ask 30,000 people, but I bet, I bet, 90% of those 30,000 people were between the ages of like 60 and 80. There are 350 million people in the mm-hmm. world. The whole idea of a sample size is 
completely suspicious to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, like oh, you, you we asked this representative example. It's like, what city, what color? That's like saying we gender. asked the listeners of Agitator if they read. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I mean, that like that's what Elon Musk is doing with Twitter. He puts on these like polls and uh, he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, the people have spoken. It's like, dude. That guy sucks so hilariously. Like I have oh, never man, seen like, somebody but, suck so publicly and so hilariously than Elon Musk. Hilariously is like the perfect way to put it. It's just like it's 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 so funny. How I I don't get why people uh, are so like losing their fucking mind over there. Like, oh, I, I hate Elon Musk. It's like I mean I hate him too because he's rich, but <laughs> like, <laughs> like stupid also rich, just like, like richest guy in the world, rich. Yeah, he's just like so embarrassing. Like, imagine being the richest person who has ever lived on Earth, and still being so, so desperate to have fourteen-year-old boys think that you're cool. Dude, I'm already cooler than Elon Musk, and I have like two thousand dollars in my checking account right now. Yeah, I mean, like he he is so desperate for people to think that he's cool that he it. I mean, it's so embarrassing. He's fifty. He's the richest person in the world. And he's like, hey guys, uh, LMAO. It's like, did you guys see the picture that he posted of his bedside table with like oh the caffeine free diet cokes and the and Deus the... Ex Machina replica gun? Yeah, it's like, why don't you just kill yourself, man? <laughs> this is like the saddest thing I've ever seen. And you can't you use can do the it gun really cool because it doesn't yeah. even work. <laughs> no, you could do it cool because he's got all those rockets. Oh, you could just yeah. fucking. I mean, this is off so, space. Uh, as much as Jeff Bezos sucks, compare these two things. Jeff Bezos wore a fucking cowboy hat to go almost to space, and he made his employees cheer him. That is so much cooler than Elon Musk doing anything that he's done since buying Twitter. Mm-hmm. And it's like that is so embarrassing that like this bald fucking weird creepy dude, Jack now gonna, though, yeah, he is jacked. But, and it's always oh, weird when man. somebody who's like super ugly gets jacked because he still has like a cartoon face. Yeah. But he's, but he's buff. It's also hilarious because like, uh, it's like if I was really rich and I didn't have to do anything ever again, I'd also be like, oh, why don't I just like look like a superhero? Yeah. Why don't I get jacked? Yeah. Like, why who, not? Who fucking cares? Like, like what's the, what's the chemical that makes you super jacked? Like, yeah. Inject that into my arm and, uh, and then I'll do some squats or whatever. Yeah. Just be well, it's like I, mean, I would just get really jacked on my lower half. You never see that. You never see that. <laughs> you remember, <laughs> like you've got like like noodle arms and fucking narrow shoulders, but just like tree trunk legs. Did you ever, That's what uh, I would do. You were the uh Miami Dolphins running back. Um oh shit. Ricky Williams, I think is what his name was. Mm-mm. Okay, so his legs were like as wide as my chest. Um, and the funniest thing about him, so this is like, I don't know. 1997 to like 2001 he got caught smoking pot like several times in a row and so they're like you know he kept getting uh suspended and they're like yo man if you don't put up a clean drug test we're gonna kick you out of the nfl and he was like all right <laughs> and they're like they're like what do you what do you mean like you're so you're gonna you're gonna like stop smoking pot for like just five days so we can get you a clean drug test and he's like no i quit <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that is like the funniest thing in the world to me because like his he was like one of those dudes who was like setting records as a really young guy and his thighs were seriously like as wide as my chest but uh he's just like no 
I'm not clean. I'm not going to go a day without smoking pot. <laughs> and it's like, it, it's literally like they're trying to like cheat the test when they're like, hey, man, we're going to give you a drug test on Monday. It's Monday right now. So just like don't smoke pot for a week and you'll be fine. He's like, nah. Nah. Not doing it. I don't give a shit. I, it's like, I fuck with that. I like this guy. This is my yeah, hero. Yeah, it's like, dude, you're making like $10 million a year. Just don't smoke pot for like a week. He's like, nah, nah, nah. I'm done. It's Quit. like, no, I made $10 million. <laughs> right. Which means he, I have $10 million. Which he knows how to play the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, if you give of- me $10 million, you couldn't tell me anything, bro. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing at all. If I had $10 million, Agitator is a is a franchise. We make video games fully funded. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole thing. Oh, yeah. The whole kit and caboodle. I just do whatever I want. Again, Broken River goes from collective to publishing house at that point. Because I can be like, hey, I'll give you, well, $10 million, Let's not get crazy. I'll give you like uh, $10,000 for this book. And then boom, it's a, it's a good deal. But like the real thing is too, is like if you became a real publishing house and you just up front with people and you go, hey, <clears throat> I'm not giving you shit up front, but mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put 10000 into marketing. Mm-hmm. I'd like, take it. I'd take <laughs> it. Fuck yeah, I would. Like, I would just put like a million dollars into my own marketing. Yeah. You know, my favorite thing about public, my favorite publishing story is actually Chuck Palahniuk, which is uh, when he sold Fight Club. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. They offered him $5,000, which right, which now is like a good, uh, a good, right. uh, what the fuck do you call it? Back then's like an, an advance, uh, b- yeah. but it was an insult. Yeah. It was like, it was like a fuck off advance. And he was like, sweet. Like so, he took it. And they were like, "Ah, oh, fuck! Now we gotta publish this fucking thing." And, well, the, uh, the the thing about Fight Club too is that like uh, he wrote Invisible Monsters, yeah, and nobody wanted it because it was too fucked up. So he wrote Fight Club specifically to be more fucked up than Invisible yeah. Monsters, and they were like, "Okay, we'll take this one." But like, <laughs> but like they also were like, "We won't take it," you know? It's like they, yeah, because like what what. Uh, Kelby, you probably know about this. Like, uh, my dad, he was trying to get his uh, kitchen remodeled a few years ago, and they quoted him $400,000, which is like the, I don't want to do this price, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, that's what people do in other industries. But I guess in publishing, they just be like, I'll give you 50 bucks. And like, the, (laughs) the joke is that most writers are like, shit. That's the most I've ever been paid for writing. <laughs> <laughs> like hell yeah, I'll sign that. I've I've pulled that before too. Yeah, I've yeah. had that pulled on me. Like uh, <laughs> someone, I'll be like, "Hey, I need like a concrete slab." And they're like, "Uh, it's like fifteen grand." And I'm like, "Well, what if I give you seven hundred dollars?" Like, no, like I, I said fifteen grand because I don't want to do this. I'm like, oh, why didn't you just say that? I, I do that with editing all the time. If I open something up and somebody's like, the man looked in the mirror and saw his reflection. And he's like, I'm going to be like, this is going to cost like $5,000. I did that once actually with a book. And the guy was like, okay, sounds good. And I was like, fuck. 
yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, it was actually five. It was five thousand dollars. It was a big budget, but he was like, "Okay, cool, yeah, let's go." I remember when I used to do freelance editing, and uh, I got paid a lot of money one time, and I felt bad because I didn't. It was kind of that thing. I was like, "If you give me five thousand dollars, I'll do it." And they're like, "Oh, sweet." I was like. Oh man, now I have to do this fucking thing. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I also made more than I've made in the last six months, so I guess I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of hard to turn it down when they say yes. You're 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 kind of like, God damn it! But on the other hand, you're like, hmm, five grand, okay. Yeah, yeah. I I keep shit like that in an actual kind of realistic vicinity now, where it's not like a fuck off. It's more like a I will do it, but this is gonna be a pain in the ass. So if you want me to do it you're going to pay. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that is, that's probably like the better way to do it. But uh, I always think that's like a funny thing with so many industries where they just, they'll quote you something insane with the expectation that you say no. Um, but I always think of that Chuck Palahniuk thing where they're like, here's $5,000, which now is like a good advance. But back then, like we said, is like a fuck off advance. He was like, sweet. <laughs> See, he was working on fucking transmissions. Yeah. He was working on semis. Like he was just, yeah. he was, he was fixing uh, semi trucks. So $5,000. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. If someone, I would be the same way. I remember when uh, I read that I was like, 5,000 is bad. <laughs> like, i mean i was like i was six it's all about how long you take on the book right like i mean yeah i've been working on something for 15 years and somebody says five thousand i'd be like fuck you but, but like the other side of that weekend, the other side of that too is like if they give you a five thousand dollar advance and you sell uh a hundred thousand copies you just made so much money whereas <laughs> if they give you a hundred thousand dollars advance and you sell a hundred thousand copies uh, you're probably still in the hole. Shout out to some friends of ours who I will not mention. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's the thing is like, sometimes those, uh, those low advances are a good thing that way. Dude. I, I, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like we've had some friends who've gotten some big ass advances and I was like, Oh shit. That's big money. Big, big money. Whatever the listener is thinking of, like double that, and it's that money. Um, but I was like, I would be nervous. And I talked to this person. I was like, are you nervous about this? They're like, no, it's fine. And I thought, ah, it's kind of not fine. That's, that's, that's a shitload of money, dude. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I would take it too, though. I'm not going to lie. Like, if, For a if big it, enough it, number, I would take it and just do my own shit. Because contracts, taking are my, it, contracts taking, are my whole thing. Taking it knowing that you're going to like flame out, right? Like, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, oh, it's just a lick. Like, 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 take it as a if lick. I hit a lick. It's a yeah. lick. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's the way you got to take that kind of shit. Somebody comes to you and says, like, I'm going to give you a half million dollars for this book. You're like, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's, cool. I mean, that's my thing right now, too, is like, uh, well, I haven't done a long time, but I'm, I'm trying, I want to, get a major publisher uh if you're a major publisher listening to this uh just close your ears for like the next minute but <laughs> the, reason I want, the reason i want a major publisher is not because i think that i'm going to become like you know uh stephen king or something like that but if they can just like send out one of those press blasts 
from like Tor mm-hmm. publishing mm-hmm. or something like that, you know, all of a sudden a million more people know who I am. Mm-hmm. That's all I want from it. Yeah. Because like I, you know, I mean, I, I would also love to become like a best-selling author. That that's that's a great shortcut. Give me that. But like my expectation of that happening is not high. So it's like, but if I can sell, I don't know, five thousand copies, and a thousand of those people really really like it, it's like fuck yeah. Sign up for my newsletter. <laughs> you know? I think I think we're all going to be bestsellers actually. Me too. No, I hundred percent. Loki, I think that we're actually like we're the next wave. I've and always known. Me, Kelby, a... you, David, Grant. I feel like I, I just think that we're like the next wave. I, I I don't know why. I think you guys that. can't see me pumping my fist, but uh... I don't have any hard evidence to back this up. Like I don't I don't know why I think that, but I just I feel it. Like we're the next thing. Well, um, I think I mean. You know, there is this idea that quality rises to the top. Mm-hmm. And I've read a lot of bad books in the last three years as research for self-publishing. And uh, when you read a lot of bad books on purpose and you see how many copies those books sell, um, first it makes you want to kill yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Second thing it makes you want to do is kill yourself again. The third thing it makes me want to do is kill that person who wrote that book. And then 10 months later, you're like, okay, I think I can learn something here. Yeah. Um, what is a year process of wanting to kill yourself and other people? And uh, well, <laughs> so I've a lot of Okay. <laughs> Dude. Okay. Real talk. Like dying world's a great book. Mercy's a great book. Howl's a great book. Right. But they are, great in ways that are different than what's going on right now and i think that we subconsciously or uh casually just wrote books that are for this moment right now i think that the length is right the way that we pack so much shit into a small space is what people are actually looking for and i think that you know, all three of us are born to do this. So our, the way that we write, the actual words that end up on the page are incredible. It's, it's just like, you know, you read dying world. It's like a shotgun blast, like, boom, all this cool shit. You read mercy. It's like, you're in the fucking, you're in all this, like there's fucking wires going up trees and shit. And you're in this world. You read how, and you're following these characters on this adventure and and there's this big woman who i want to fuck like <laughs> like i think that i just i it's well, hard so- to put into words right because it's like it's just a feeling like i just think that we are doing everything correctly and i think that people will really like these books and will vibe with them on a like a aesthetic cover level on a writing level on a link level and it's just like if we can keep it up that's the big thing right like we have to keep doing it like i'm not saying that like these three books are going to like launch us into whatever these three books 
feel significant for me because it's like a turning point in in my reality where like i don't think of myself as a as any other career including being a publisher i'm 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 a fucking i'm a writer we're writers now and this is i think what reading all these bad books has taught me is that like uh so there are ideas about publishing that always happen because like publishing is always behind the trend by necessity. Like traditional publishing takes 18 months to get a book out. Just does. Right. Yeah. Um, and so what you've seen in the last 10 years is a lot of people who become bestsellers first by self-publishing get picked up by a bigger publisher. And that's because they're behind the trend. And the trend really is, uh, almost going back to like the eighties, like mm-hmm. sword and sorcery. Well, yeah, cyberpunk, but like, just like the, in the eighties and before fantasy novels usually top topped out at like 50,000 words. Uh, right now, a fantasy novel is like barely even considered a novel unless it's like 150 K. Right. Uh, Some Brandon Sanderson shit. Yeah, which, I mean, he's more like 400 plus thousand words. Um, but like what people are really successful with on the, what, you know, indie author, self-published author is like, they're publishing these things that would have been successful 30 years ago. And they're not even necessary. I mean, part of what makes them bad is that they're not even like learning from those things that were done decades ago. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of what you see in indie video games, which uh, I will have more to say about on my newsletter, radicaledward.substack.com. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, it's like, so like what we what we each did with this cyberpunk uh, novel is we wrote a short, discreet adventure, which mm-hmm. is uh, that that was that was genre fiction for 90 years, literally 90 years just short fast deadly books they're fun you're in you're out in an hour two hours three hours and uh mm-hmm. they don't necessarily it's not necessarily something that's gonna like stick with you for the rest of your life but you're like man that was fucking fun i love that mm-hmm. i cannot mm-hmm. wait to read the next one uh and i mean that's that's where self-publishing is successful right now there's different genres that do better for different reasons, but like, that's what people, that that's what people who actually read books day in and day out actually want. Um, I mean, like, take me for example, <clears throat> I am a bad example of every kind of like thing that you would market to in the world, but I don't watch a lot of movies anymore. I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't even really play that many video games. Mostly what I do is read books. Like you play I, some weird ass video games though that yeah. sound really cool. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> Mostly and like the thing, the funny thing too is like a lot of the video games that I play right now were made in the 90s. So like uh most of what I'm even playing is like 30 years old. But uh, you know, I most of what I do is read books and I read all kinds of books and the people that I see on the actual internet who read books not people who are involved in literature on the internet but like people on like message forums and reddit and like twitter who actually read books like 100 books a year 
like I do, a lot of what they read are just Kindle Unlimited books. They sign up for Kindle Unlimited. It's like Netflix for books. They read all these self-published books. And uh, to some extent, it's kind of like people who just watch sitcoms to watch sitcoms. Like they don't have favorite authors. They're just like, I like this genre. I'm going to read everything that's in this genre. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And, uh, you know, we wrote cyberpunk books. All of our cyberpunk books are such different takes on cyberpunk, which is like the hilarious thing. Uh, David's is more, I would say, kind of Neil Stevenson snow crashy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's like, it is so funny, guys. Like, um, (laughs) I I forget sometimes that like when I post things on Twitter, no one sees it because uh, (laughs) I don't have any followers on Twitter. But Dying World... So, so you hear the word dying world, you see that cover and you're like, oh man, this is going to be metal as fuck. Uh, and it, it, it is, but also it is just so fucking funny. I laughed out loud literally five different times. And uh, I, 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 I do laugh when I read books, but almost never. Uh, so few books are funny. <laughs> like literally, I, I, read, I read over a hundred books a year, every year for the last uh 10 years as i've been keeping count on goodreads if you're following me on goodreads um not that many books make me laugh and uh like the last person who made me laugh this much is louise erdrich who no one even talks about how funny she is funniest author in the world right now but dying world is so fucking funny and it's so fucking funny in such specific ways that uh it's not a comedy but man you're gonna just die laughing at certain parts of this book um the other thing about it, though, is it, it's just like madcap wild. Uh, if you have ever read a Vampire Hunter D novel or a Wuxia novel, Wuxia, Wuxia, whatever. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce Chinese. I'm a person from Minnesota. But that <laughs> word, uh, if you can pronounce it, it's like that, too, where it's just like things come out of nowhere and they're, they're awesome. Like people are just fighting and words are getting used and you're like i don't know what that means but fuck yeah oh yeah that's one of my falcon favorite punch things his ass. <laughs> falcon, <laughs> falcon punches ass that's one of my uh favorite things about dying world is the david's always been like a master craftsman with prose yeah. but like the prose in dying world comes from just this onslaught of cool proper nouns connect connected by a ton of you know verbs and it's just like these words just look and sound cool yeah but like and and i want people to get the wrong idea that it's just like it's confusing with like proper nouns it's like so um remember watching dragon ball z when you were 12 Mm -hmm. dying world dying world captures the best feeling of that like you're not getting kamehamehas but you're getting like it, it's like watching a goofy anime and just being like, hell yeah, punch and go, <laughs> you know. But at the same that time, that was the goal, yeah, that was yeah. Good. And like it's it, it is that way, and like it it does remind me of Takashi Meike too, where it's like, uh, people will say things that just like, like no one would ever say that, but for whatever reason, it's perfect here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do like, uh, yeah yeah i love the dialogue too yeah i think I, mean, I think watching japanese movies is great for 
crafting dialogue because you'll you're reading right and you don't know if they sound dumb or whatever because they're japanese you know you don't know if it's realistic dialogue you're just reading it and when you see them say shit and you're like who says that but it just it just comes they play it off (laughs) that's like the funny thing to me between uh dubbed anime versus subbed anime um sometimes and like people blame a lot on the actors of dubbed anime for good reason but sometimes the reason why dubbed anime is so much more cringy than subbed anime is not because the uh acting is better but because there's a difference between hearing someone say something retarded and reading someone say something retarded Uh uh-huh and when you hear someone say something that's just like so stupid, it like pulls you out of it. But when you read it, you don't necessarily get pulled out of it. Um, and I think that that's like one of the tricks of sometimes why foreign films seem deeper than they are to American audiences. It's not because it's actually deeper. It's because you didn't have to hear someone verbally say something that sounds so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh I, like so the funny thing about dying world is like at certain points you do he- you, you 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 do in your head hear someone say something that's stupid but it's kind of awesome because like it it connects you to that experience of the other thing <laughs> whenever whenever zuno <laughs> the antler the deer guy yeah. uh he's a deer mod because in in dying world you can become like a cyborg or whatever, right? But you can also kind of like become an animal. She's a fucking return. bird. <laughs> she, she, she's a fucking bird. <laughs> As, uh, yeah, no, that seems fucking hilarious too. The one with Zuno where he is just being awkward yeah. at the rodeo and doesn't know how to interact with people and, and says... Uh, Oh man, wait! I fucked up the scene. No, he there's, says there's like a... her pussy's tight or something. You're just like, and like it pauses for a second. You're just like, <laughs> yeah. He's talking <laughs> to strangers and is like, uh, her her pussy's really tight, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, man, that was like the worst cutout to put into. But I don't know. This book is funny. So my favorite, the thing that first made me like burst out laughing is uh the guy whose head goes on fire <laughs> you go, what's the purpose of that he goes it fucking hurts <laughs> <laughs> just like thinking about it makes me laugh so hard just like this dude starts his own face on fire and then like why did you do that he goes it hurts <laughs> my favorite part of writing that too was that uh <laughs> so this everybody has a cool like mod you know one guy's hand becomes a gun somebody grows wings somebody has like ice powers and then this guy's headlights on fire (laughs) 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 and uh kentaro is just like what is that he's like it fucking hurts and he like (laughs) he cuts the dude's head off but my favorite part of that is that uh diamond shark the the kind of leader of the group he's like i told you that having a head that sets on fire is fucking pointless but i still loved you like a brother (laughs) (laughs) that that dialogue is like 
it, it it's it's literally bad it's stupid as fuck yeah no, it's like it's like straight up just like bad dialogue but at the same time at the same time and maybe it's because i just read like a, a you know a 2000 page like wuxia novel that's like the, the like famous one the legend of the condor heroes by jin Wong, jin young and like some of the dialogue is just like that where it's like it's like iron falcon came in did a falcon punch and then like hurt his hand on the rock and you're just like i don't know it's it's like silly in a way that that seems bad but is definitely on purpose but it's super fun yeah and like like, because you as a reader can tell that like it's on purpose it it, like invites you into the joke you Mm -hmm. know so it's like like that is those lines of dialogue are legitimately legitimately bad lines of dialogue (laughs) at the same time they're just they're so funny and so like it's it's just like it's so funny that you can't be like oh man this writing sucks because it's like it's it's so obviously on purpose this way well yeah because the rest of the like there's a lot of deep shit a dumb person it takes the right mixture of retard and genius to write in any of these books like yeah. any like eddie your shit not just how because it feels like um well you wrote glossolalia like in 2016 so it's not yeah. like you wrote it the other day but yeah your shit feels like hypnotizing not in a way that it's so weird bro. like I, I, i'm trying i'm trying to actually articulate your shit because i've read so much of it in the past few months that it, it there is its own aesthetic and what that is is there's an authority to it that's casual and yeah. it's just like it's confident without being obviously confident and so and it's vague enough that you're just like oh whatever and typically it's just barely weird enough and then you do that kind of shit too where you have random incestuous ass fucking written in a comedic (laughs) way and it's like what (laughs) so i i mean i think one of the things so this this sounds really funny it kind of goes back to that Somali book at the beginning that we were talking about. Um, so that book specifically came out of uh, one of my, my roommates dying. Um, he died a few weeks before he turned 26. And uh, in my head, I was like, Oh man, I'm going to write some like dark ass poetry, you know, like fucking delve into my sadness. But instead what I ended up writing is a, a, a book that I thought, would make him laugh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. to some extent every book that i've written since then has aimed for something similar um they're not all funny but like anytime i the funniest i I write something that he would think was cool right like like yeah or i mean not even because i don't always think about him anymore it's been a long time but like you know i i think about stuff that uh i'm like this would be really funny and Zach would just like crack up over it, especially be like, you know, Glossolalia is a mostly serious book, but like throwing something that's just like absurdly silly in there 
is uh like it's on purpose and it's because i'm like this would make somebody laugh mm-hmm. you know and uh i feel like you feel that a lot in dying world um i think i did it way less than howl uh you'll see it way more in some of the books i have coming out with kyle where it's like <laughs> some of those books have really silly things in them but <laughs> but like uh yeah i think that there is I'm really into tonal shifts and register shifts, especially register shifts where it's like you, cause my old books, as much as I love Nora, I love story. Like we were talking about earlier. Um, the problem with that one is it, it's very much uh, monotonal. Like it's, it hits a mood and it sustains that mood for a long time. And if that mood's not going to work for you, that book sucks. Like it just does. Like if you're not into what that book's doing, you're going to know on page two. Um, But what I try to do now more is shift registers at some level of frequency. So like, I want you to laugh. I want you to cry. I want you to be like, fuck. Yeah, this is, this is crazy. And fuck. Yeah, this is wilder. Fuck. Yeah. This is really interesting. Or like being thoughtful. And I want to do, I want to hit a lot of registers and I want to like run you through it like a roller coaster. And uh, you know, that that's like the idea that I want. And that's part of it is like building that rhythm uh, a way that I've done that with like Howl and Glossolalia is through a lot of short chapters. Cause then it gives you the freedom to like chop it up and like be like, and juxtapose things that like, neither one is funny by itself, but when you put them next to each other, it's like, well, that's kind of silly, you know, mm-hmm. like you put these images next to each other. And it's like, well, that that's goofy. And even if it doesn't make you laugh, you're kind of like, well, that's a weird, these are, these are like weird things to put next to each other. Um, I do that with rhythm and mercy a lot. It was one of the, yeah, the beat playing under, under that is a lot of those where there's a very, very mundane chapter that I felt needed to be there, but it's just like kind of nothing next to something crazy. And like, that's totally on purpose. Like now that now the mundane thing becomes something because it's next to a roller coaster fight or whatever. Exactly. And that's like, the thing is like, you can, you can emphasize things by not emphasizing them. You know what I mean? So there's this, um, my senior year of high school, I was in an AP lit class and I remember this idea came up for some reason. I think it was a poem we read that was about some specific word that never, but like it never used that word. So like, let's, I don't know, it was about, let's say piss, but it never talked about urine in the entire poem. Um, but like through reading the poem, you're like, oh, this is about like a dude pissing. You know, so like that idea has always been interesting to me. So it's like by by not mentioning something, you can pull a highlight to it. And mm-hmm. so kind of like what you're saying, it's like uh, making a mundane moment between like hills of climax. You can actually make that mundane moment hit. Like actually hit when like if it was just without context, that mundane moment is just a mundane moment. You know, but like mm-hmm. there's. You know, for example, 
uh, in mercy. I don't want to give too much away. Maybe I shouldn't say this. You can spoil whatever you want. Right. I was going to say. <laughs> we so spoil like, other uh, people's shit on this show. So <laughs> fuck it. Spoil my book. <laughs> but like someone. So so mercy, for example. Um, there's a lot of shit going on. But there's something about when he puts his dad on his back and carries him. Like that moment by itself uh, is there. there's both nothing special about that happening but also everything special about that happening you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you do that whether consciously or not you did it through like a contrast of things like uh the contrast of him telling stories about his wife and then like wild shit going on around them you know so like the fact that he does something so radical but does it so casually makes it stick out in a way that it wouldn't if it wasn't surrounded by these like contrasting elements if that makes sense yeah um because like you know even the road for example uh part of what makes the road work so well or like a game like the last of us which is basically the video game version of the road Mm -hmm. is like the different registers that you hit you know sometimes you're just moving a ladder around to solve a puzzle in the last of us sometimes you're punching a fucking zombie in the face in the last of us sometimes you're like crouching and creeping through a dark corridor to not be heard by a clicker you know and that's like all these different registers <clears throat> work to make the very mundane moments hit in a way that they never would have without them yeah no the road is a perfect example (laughs) last of us too because i enjoyed a lot of there were some times in last of us where i'd get kind of frustrated whenever i ran up on a like an action scene again god damn it i was having fun just walking around yeah you were (laughs) playing it on like the extreme hard mode oh i I was i was doing that too the ending of that game i was like I looked up tutorials and people had fully loaded clips. I was like, where'd you find a fully loaded clip? That doesn't exist in this game. Oh, uh, I never found a fully loaded. Oh man, maybe I was playing on a harder mode than I meant to. I play everything on hard. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to play hard. I'm a baby. Yeah, if, if, I, if you play medium or easy, if you play easy, bro, stop playing video games and start learning how to crawl because you're a baby. I, <laughs> I disagree. I never play games on easy, but you know what? A lot of times, the reason why I play video games is because I just want to see the story and I don't give a shit. At the same time, I've never played a game on easy. But no, I should. You haven't because you know intuitively that that's some bitch shit. Medium, maybe. Okay, maybe. I play everything on hard, at least. I don't. I don't go like full on, you know, if there's like a hard and there's like Oh, this is like extreme mode, which is what Kelby played The Last of Us on. I don't always go extreme, but sometimes I do because it's kind of fun. And it was crazy. Like, I think a game like Last of Us, I think you have to. I couldn't couldn't imagine playing that. I mean, it's a good story, but if you're the avatar of this story where this guy is going through a lot of hardship, but then when you're playing as him, and you're not going through any hardship. You're just blazing through it. It's like, it doesn't hit the same. That's true. And so I have a, um, 
man, this is going to be, this is, this is such, such a, such a specific topic. You guys probably haven't even played this game. You ever play Final Fantasy 15? Which one is that? The 15th one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was the, the one that came out on PS4, your Noctis. It's a, it's the first one that's more like, um, it's like, uh, more like an action rpg oh yeah yeah okay i was excited about this one actually yeah so i love that game um it's kind of what got me back into video games everyone hates it everyone especially who likes uh final fantasy games hates it unless it's their first one but um so the that game's broken down into 15 episodes the 13th episode is was originally notoriously difficult and like unpleasant and uh Mm. It is so good because of that, man. I wrote a whole essay just about how good this chapter 13 is because it's so brutally unpleasant. So the whole game is like, uh, you're Noctis. You're just with, you're hanging out with your bros. Your bros are your whole world, bro. And uh, you love your bros. Your bros are with you the whole time. Y'all look like a bro band. And uh, in chapter 13, your bros are stripped from you. And like Noctis is kind of like a cloud stripe. He's kind of a dick. He's sort of a loner by nature, but he has his bros and he loves his bros a little bit. They love him way more than he loves them. And uh, so he gets stripped of his bros and it sucks so hard. Like it is, it is like two hours of like just drudgery. It's, it's legitimately bad video game design. And because of that reason, that's what makes it such good video game design is because it takes the whole theme of the game and makes it like viscerally real. It's like, you've been taking advantage of your bros the last 30 hours. Now your bros aren't here and you see how bad your life sucks. And like, that's, that's beautiful. That's perfect. Um, they of course patched it because gamers hate stuff that makes them uh, deal with theme and story and stuff like they that. They hated Last of Us 2 for similar reasons. Yeah, it's like, they're like, oh man, this is fucking gay. Why is it so why is it so boring? It's like, because that's the whole game. <laughs> like, like oh, it's yeah. trying to shove this theme down your throat. And the fact that you don't even understand that, don't even see the theme in front of you, that drives me crazy. Well, that's I mean, that's even kind of like why I wrote this Final Fantasy VII uh essay is like I was seeing all these takes on the internet for most of my life about like, uh, cause gamers hate when politics are in their games. They're like, why can't games go back to being like final fantasy seven without politics? It's like, dude, that game's about eco terrorists. <laughs> like, what about this? Isn't political. Like they're literally trying to blow up a fucking extractive corporation. That's the whole game. They're like, oh, no, 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 that's not politics. <laughs> and I don't know. It it drives me crazy. But uh what were we talking about? <laughs> cyberpunk. Cyber- um, well, that's the thing too, is like people will be like, why does cyberpunk have to be woke now? It's like, what are you even saying? Like, have you ever do you even understand the, the media that you like? Like, do you did you see the matrix? Do you, you think that that's not a political piece of art? I don't did know you, what woke means anymore. I don't, did you I don't read, even know what that word fucking means. Yeah. Did, did you not read Dying World, the uh, <laughs> the trans rights manifesto of... 
it kind of low-key is and also I, I feel like dying world could be read both ways so i'm in, i'm anticipating both where it's like this is a super anti-trans book you know it's really good super, super pro trans book you know what uh dying world reminded me of a little bit which uh, i uh have been thinking about with relation to the trans debate in general in culture right now is uh, Samuel R. Delaney wrote a book called Trouble on Triton in the 80s. And uh, it is about a man transitioning, but uh, it's a very interesting take on that that I think would be not necessarily enjoyed by gender activists right now, but also not by their opponents. It's a, it's a very interesting thing that way, where it's like, a, it's called a heterodox uh, utopia. That's the subtitle of it. Um, it's very interesting. But Dying World kind of hits the same thing where it's like uh, the freedom to do whatever you want with your body isn't necessarily unshackling you from the things that you believe are shackling you. It's, yeah. an, interesting, it's an interesting question that I think most people don't probe enough when they're really probing at these things or arguing about them. I think that's a really good way to put it. Uh, I think when I was writing it, at least it was just like the trans thing was on my mind, but I guess my thought about the whole thing is like, uh, you know, do what you want. None of my business, but at the same time, what you're doing is is kind of funny it's it's kind of it's kind of silly so i guess like the if if there was a a a grand sort of trans metaphor for what happens in dying world it's like look i love you it's cool you're a human being you you have as much of a right to do what you want with your body as i do uh but some things that you do with your body are kind of silly it's kind of silly it's kind of funny and i'm just saying that i'm going to i'm going to laugh at you <laughs> not 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 in a mean way not in a mean way i'm not like laughing and you know say like look at this fucking freak or whatever but like but it is funny bro I mean, well, it's also it's, kind of like it's kind of silly, um, you know, it's what's a good way to put this. Uh, so, you know, the way that trouble on Triton tackles it is like the main character. He's got a lot of problems mm-hmm. and uh, part of why he switches genders feels arbitrary. And for that reason, it doesn't really solve any of his problems, even though he mm-hmm. thinks it's going to. Um, and that's not to say that trans people are that way but it's like you know to get back to dying one it's like is this actually your whole problem maybe it is Mm -hmm. maybe it is but i think that a lot of people who uh think that maybe they're the wrong gender have a different issue and yeah yeah switching genders doesn't or hasn't made them happy it's not to say that everyone's this way, but there are definitely people that way. Bro, that's such a fucking great point. And 
I, I, so I've, I've made a lot of friends on the, on the right wing. Right. And one of the weird things about making friends with these people is that they are actually really uh, fucking stupid when it comes to <laughs> uh, like, like gay people and trans people. And, you know, you, you, I've always been very anti-corporate and then the COVID thing happened and I was, I, I stuck to my guns and I was like, okay, so the, this is Pfizer, this is Moderna, this is the, all these big corporations are pushing this shit. Like we should be skeptical. And the left, because they are also complete fucking retards, um, rejected that out of hand. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll go make friends with right-wing people who at this point in time, from 2020 to 2022 like we have some common ground right well turns out they're stupid they're dumb they're big dumb (laughs) dummies uh and they're the way that they are big dumb dummies is that they uh don't like uh gay people or or trans people or whatever right um so i completely lost my point I lost my train of thought. <laughs> what was I talking about? I don't know. <laughs> but like, but, I think. Oh, one of the- but the thing that extending off, of, branching off of what Eddie's point about, like the the trans thing and the deeper issue, whatever. Another thing, Dying World does is like touch on that, but also be like it makes the point of like this is a deeper issue that you're not contending with, and then it also goes. But I mean, that's fine. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Like, it's cool to turn yourself into a deer. <laughs> like, you're not fixing your issues, but I mean, have fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, so like, um, my friend Zach Terman, who used to be my roommate in 2010, uh, <clears throat> one thing that, because when I was graduating uh, college, I was like, I need to move out of this country. Because I, I had studied abroad in Ireland and I was planning on going to Korea. At that point, I hadn't been planning on this yet. But I was like, I just need to like get out of here. And he was like, why? I was like, well, I'm just, you know, I feel like, and I had a lot of dumb reasons for why I needed to leave home. And he was like, you know, moving to a different place isn't going to make you happier if you're not happy with yourself. And I was like, oh, fuck. How dare you say that to me? like like how dare you how dare you hit me in my heart so hard about what is like actually my problem is that i'm not happy in so many ways but i believe that being a different place will make me happier um and i think the same thing is true for a lot of people is that they're not happy with their life for many reasons probably most of them good reasons um many of them maybe even things that have nothing to do with them. Like, uh, for example, your job probably sucks. Whatever your job is listening to this right now, I bet you wish you didn't have it. Um, so you're probably unhappy for a lot of different reasons. And for some amount of these people, it seems like transitioning genders might solve that for some amount of those people, it will solve that for some amount of them. It won't. Um, and I think that that's like one of the things that you get at with body modification in dying world and that cyberpunk in general attack like kind of tackles is like if you have the freedom 
to do whatever you want with your body or your sexuality, uh, will that save you? And I think the answer is usually probably not because like your problems don't necessarily, some of them come from yourself, but you have a bigger problem, which is that corporations own most of your life. Yeah. That's <laughs> and like, so that the yeah, fact no, that, that's it. That was my point. That was my whole point with the whole thing was like, uh, uh, that right-wing people are like, well, but in trans people, you know, they, uh, they're against God or whatever. And like, I don't fucking care, bro. Yeah. Like just change. But like, if I, if I see like that, it's the different, it's like the Baskin Robbins 31 <laughs> flavors of, of different types of people, you know, right. where it's like, I can meet a completely straight, uh, uh, you know, white cis, whatever person, and they've got their shit together. So I'm like, okay, cool. That person's cool. <laughs> if I meet like a like a POC, uh, you know, trans, whatever, if they've got their shit together, I'm like, okay, I trust you did this for good reasons. Yeah. But I mean, it's like but my whole chosen- thing is like a lot of these people who are like, you don't seem well. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that, I mean, I think that that's part of the issue with just like a lot of society is like, there's a lot of reasons why people are not well. And uh, sure. Yeah. There's, there's, it's easier to tell people that their problem is that like, you know, it's something identity based rather than the fact that uh, Pepsi is poisoning the water around the world. Dude, you're <laughs> like, speaking my fucking language. It's like, Oh, well, the issue is, is that you were born with this, that, and the other, and yeah. you have to change that, you know, like you were born not this changing. way. People just have to change for you. Like, that's the other thing. Is well, people have to, to do- like, everybody has to, like, the world has to conform to how you are. And it's like, guys, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. If you are a white, straight dude, like the three of us are, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's fine. I think you guys are, are, we all have wives, we fuck them, we have kids, and we're happy, and that's fine. But that's not, that's also not the only way to live a life. Like you can live in, so I have gay friends, right? Like, and, and my gay friends go out and they do whatever gay, what do gay people do? They go, they read like cookbooks together. Probably, or something. probably similar things that we <laughs> like, do. <'cause... laughs> And I, I always I being tra- accused of being gay. I have trans friends who uh, I don't know what they do. They fuck, they cut their wieners off and you know, or get tits <laughs> or whatever. Like that's all fine, right? If you're cool, baseline. You see what I'm saying? Like, well, it's like, like if, if things make you happy, they make you happy. That's probably the right thing to do. Yeah, they make you happy. I'm totally I, like, if you were born and your whole life you're like kind of feel like i'm a chick right and everybody around you is like you think you're that's fucking weird bro you shouldn't think that you should just be a dude like me and you're like yeah but i don't think that's me and then one day you get you know you go online you see all this shit you're like okay so i'm gonna be a chick none like okay that's completely fucking fine but i know a lot of straight people who are fucked up who yeah. are just like monsters like animals 
right? So I think I think that it's it's this weird combination, and this is like it's not good for a BuzzFeed soundbite about this kind of shit, <laughs> uh, where like there's a good guy and a bad guy. It's like they're straight normal people who are fucked up, and there are trans people who are completely okay. Well, the problem with anybody, everybody, is an inability to accept and exist in the present. Yeah. <clears throat> and I mean, I that's it. Like, because people... change, like chopping your dick off isn't going to make you happy. But that's also, it does, it's irrelevant. Like, that's not the issue. Everybody's issue is getting your shit together. But also, um, like, quitting booze or or becoming swole or whatever like that's not going to make you happy either no you see what i'm saying like there's think, other, there's, like, like, there's body mod there's body modification that completely straight cis people do like they like straight people take wild fucking hormones bro yeah like igf1 fucking there's like all this test that you can take just look at joe rogan's neck man Dude, Joe Rogan looks like a fucking alien, bro. Like, his head is so big, and that's the HGH. He's got the human growth hormone going on. He's open about it. His neck is as wide as my waist. But he doesn't look normal, bro. No. But also, I got no hate for him because he seems cool. He's, I mean, thing. he's... And that's kind of the thing is, like... you know, And if you want to get a pussy, then get a pussy, bro. Like, I don't... Like, what's well, like, you know, remember, because I've seen people who are really anti trans being like, we need to ban these surgeries. It's like, dude, we let a guy make himself look like a tiger. <laughs> we got, we got hostgator.net. Yeah. Remember that like, dude? The guy like who you, got Pornhub. Pornhub. Tattooed tat- on his fucking, yeah. Yeah. His for- but it's, uh, his but it's like, it's like this guy put like subdermal implants in his like face and like chopped up his face and like put in dental implants to make himself look like a fucking tiger bro if you if you feel like you were born in the wrong body welcome to 2022 (laughs) because you were born in the wrong body like we weren't made for this that's what the whole that's why i support the like all the trans shit that i see or whatever it's like they are responding to a stimulus that is very real and that we all experience like yeah. we're not supposed to be here we're not supposed to be the way that we are right now World and for some up. people that can get interpreted as I'm, I'm a guy i should be a girl or vice versa whatever but like i don't That's- hate on, i don't hate on any of that shit bro because like we're not supposed to be we're not supposed to be under halogen lights we're not <laughs> supposed to be looking i'm not supposed to be talking to you right now you yeah. live in minnesota kelby lives in houston outside of houston like none of this is natural right so if if you're surrounded by all this unnatural shit you begin to think like oh maybe i'm not who i who i thought yes that's correct yeah. that's correct but the it, world the world is broken and it makes you feel broken i mean I was- right the world is broken but the world is fucked in like a profound ways ways, bro like 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 super like the world is so fucked up that like i feel like well i would never cut off my dick because i like my dick but (laughs) 
<laughs> like that's kind of like but i i kind of get it you see what i'm saying like i, I kind of I, I get it i get where you're coming from like something's off and you're really smart and you get it and you you think this is the way but the i guess the like the trick is is actually like it's it's more ideological subtraction than addition maybe but like know. this is kind of what i was trying to get at with that final fantasy 7 essay is like the world was broken before we got here it's yep. going to be broken after us and it the mm-hmm. fact that any of us who you know the, it, it's going to break you the fact that any of us can just like get up and walk is sort of a miracle mm-hmm. um because we're we're descended from broken people who are descended from broken people who are descended from broken people and you we might say a- we live in a dying world yeah exactly <gasps> and kind of bring it all full circle you know dying world does get at the classic cyberpunk things with also being just like so funny so fun and like i think we all tried to get at like the fun of cyberpunk in different ways mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yours is i think dying world is the most like classically stevensonian cyberpunk mm-hmm. mine is like i don't know it's, it's it's cyberpunk without the cyberpunk city which makes it kind of odd kelby's it's is kind of that though. way too it's fun and like, but but, the, but they're fun they're yeah it's never fun. been that's another like it's never been done before the thing about the cyberpunk genre is it only exists and we found this out by accident by going let's watch some more cyberpunk stuff and then being like oh we've seen it all yeah well, and that's kind of like the interest to me in solar punk too, which is, you know, meant to be sort of like the, uh, the opposite of cyberpunk, which is shout out Jay. Yeah. Boy so, you, Jay. so you take the, the problems of cyberpunk and you try to give solutions to it. So I, I tried to do both where like this, uh, shamanistic village is basically trying to re replenish the world through mushrooms, um, mm-hmm. which are mushrooms are weird, man. They're so cool. Just, just read about it. I don't know. Watch a documentary. No, fucking tight. Have you read the the mushroom at the end of the world? No, I don't read books. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, bro, Anna Anna Singh's book "Mushroom at the End of the World" is so fucking crazy. I'll look it up. You, I because mushrooms like are it. they're fascinating. Like mushrooms are basically magic. Like, yeah, they are. Like they they they're they, aliens, bro. They, they, like they, that's that's literally the aliens. Yeah, they can clean up oil spills. Like like mushrooms are the reason so why we are where we are right now yeah and so so our dumb fucking ancestors were walking through a field and they saw a cow patty and there are these little white caps coming out of it and they're like oh what the fuck is that put that in me and they they ate that and now we have uh elon musk yeah (laughs) i gotta get going my wife uh she she flashed the lights but uh Everyone should go buy our book. He's getting the flashing lights. Um, She did the closing time. She she literally literally did do that. Uh, Everyone should subscribe to my blog, my newsletter. Yeah, they should. Because you get Howl for free and my future books for free. Subscribe to Eddie's blog, uh, buy Dying World, Mercy, Howl. When Mercy comes out, man, it's it's so good. we're, We're starting a movement, fellas. Like we're we're, oh, yeah. we're doing a real thing. Like this is this is. I Dave, feel when, it in my a, fucking balls, the, bro. I feel it. Next, I feel like, when's your next ahead. dialogue book coming out? Uh, March one. There you go. That's what I'm aiming for too. Now, 
mm-hmm. March 1st. Iron Wolf. Yeah. Iron Wolf. Part <laughs> I'm putting two. I'm putting no more deadlines on myself, but I am <laughs> uh I am writing like a motherfucker. <laughs> like a, a deadline is good when it's March one and it's December one. Yeah. And you got you, you got three months to do that shit. But uh the deadline you... of uh you know, I'm gonna do it in two weeks. Nah, bro. <laughs> it can happen, but uh man, it's not it's not a guarantee. I need it's that third week. I need, need that, that third, third week. week to find the real juice. Hell yeah. All right, guys. Classic episode. Thanks. Hell yeah. Right. Go take See care of your kid later. Bye. Yeah.